And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be, wherever you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when just about anything can happen, and of course now that ancient truism has been synopticated, is that a word? Synopticated? Hmm, should be. Um, to include 24-7, so whenever the show was on, it would be obviously in its appropriate time slot. However, there is something about the night. It's like you can get clarity. There's there's less noise. More people, even on a planet of 24-7, are asleep, at least in uh, this hemisphere. And, and that seems to, you know seems to have some kind of an effect. You know, it's it's definitely uh, somewhere in the field. Anyway, um, we have as our guest the first hour uh, tonight to talk about this extraordinary hinge moment in history that we're all going through. Can you imagine what it must be like to be a professor of Russian history, specifically Russian military history, and as the last death pangs of something lurking from the 20th century, you are, as an historian, chronicling real change history that's going to determine life on and off the earth for the next 100 years. And you're an historian, and this is your moment. Well, that's the moment we're going to talk about tonight with Dr. Richard Spence. Because um, of all the people I can think of, it would be more appropriate to talk to at this moment, in this moment in time, I can think of none better than Rick Spence. And then we're going to have some other prizes a little later in the the program. Um, We start for all you new listeners, and I know you're out there. I, I see you peeking around the fins. Okay, come on, come on, come on out there. Come on, come on, come on. You all came over from George, you know, the one I did. A couple, three weeks ago, I wound up doing George's show for the first time in seven years. And I'm going to say it right flat out. If anybody is curious, you can send me an email. I'll give you some details. But I absolutely know 100% guaranteed scientific. Take it to the bank. Dead drop certain. I know who arranged that on her anniversary. And I've got the evidence. And in this time when there's so little to hang on to, that's a very, very important piece of evidence to hang on to. So for all you new listeners, um, you've arrived at the other side of midnight.com. You want to uh, click on tonight's banner, uh, which says rather uh, forlornly uh, in a certain way of speaking, um, what could come next with uh, uh, President Zelensky and President Putin there in a graphic which really demonstrates this incredible moment that I never thought in my lifetime we would return to, which only goes to show that history, if it does not repeat, it certainly seems to come in waves. And I'm going to talk with Rick about that when we get there. Anyway, um, that's the banner. Click on the banner. That will take you to the guest page. Right under the guest page, you will see 
my name where it says fast links to items. Click on that. That takes you to my items in radio with pictures. We're leading the news tonight with the same uh, uh, two stories we have for the last several weeks. Uh, Once the uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration successfully launched on Christmas morning, this amazing advance in astrophysics, in cosmology, in deep time, in probing the origins of humanity, in finding out if there's other members of humanity out there, you name it, Webb will tackle it in one way or another. So those two first links in my radio with pictures uh, for the last several weeks are related to Webb. The first one is a new milestone, uh, the alignment of the 18 sub-mirrors into one super mirror has now been successfully accomplished. So you can click on that and that will take you through a very interesting story. Item number two is kind of like a, uh, a standard fare. Where is Webb tonight? Looking at where the orbit is, what the instrumentation status is, et cetera, et cetera. Item number three, um, overshadowed totally by this incipient razor blade tippy tip knife edge precipice we're clinging to are we or are we not going to like world war one inadvertently step into world war three because um it, it carries extraordinary perilous risks i love people in the news say well the risks are you know the risks are everything all or nothing you bet the farm so and this is a something we must grapple with. Anyway, overshadowed by all of this real politic news, East versus West, Russia versus NATO, Ukraine, you know, against the bully, there was this news story, item number three. NASA rolled out to the pad in the last few days the um, full-up Artemis rocket and spacecraft, which is going to take um, three astronauts back to the moon the first woman to the moon the first uh, astronaut of color to the moon opening up the artemis program which is of course named after the sister of the uh, greek god of the moon um, apollo so this new program is artemis named after his sister and it's been building and building and building for decades now Finally, as of a few days ago, it's all been assembled, the rocket, the boosters, the spacecraft on the gantry, on the rolling crawler, which takes it out to the launch pad. And uh, it was moved there. It's going to undergo in the next few days uh, what's called countdown demonstration tests, where they do everything, fuel the rocket, load the propellants, you know, do everything prior to what they would do prior to an actual launch and they come down in the count to about 10 seconds and they say stop so they get right down to 10 seconds of launch the actual launch of artemis one which will be uncrewed there'll be no astronauts aboard just mannequins and a lot of uh, sensors uh feeding back through the loops um on this mission this mission is going to take the full-up Orion spacecraft and the Artemis rocket, uh, the Space Launch System, SLS, in a full-up test 
sometime around June. They're now looking for that first um, test, which where the uh, rocket will drive the spacecraft into a distant orbit of the moon, the farthest that uh, a man-made spacecraft uh, aimed for lunar exploration has reached uh, since uh, the end of the um, uh, polyphorum, which is about 50 years ago. We're in the window now. So in that window, uh, the beginning of a stunning new um, unveiling of who we really are is going to occur. And of course, right as this unveiling is going to start, what should happen? Oh, there comes another pesky world war. Oh my gosh. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce uh, my first guest of the evening. Um, uh, Rick has been on many, many times. He is the uh, was a professor of history at University of Idaho. His interests include Russian and military history along with espionage, occultism, anti-Semitism. His major published works include Boris Savinkov, Renegade on the Left, Trust No One, The Secret World of Sidney Riley, Secret Agent 0666, Alistair Crowley, British Intelligent and the Occult, and Wall Street and the Russian Revolution, 1905 to 1925. And you can go and read the rest of uh, uh, Rick's bio there on the other side of midnight. So without further ado, Dr. Spence, come on down. Here's a message. Thank you. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> that was Ron. <laughs> yeah, on, that's not me. <laughs> that, no, that was Ron on the other line. I guess we're going to okay. have to get him back. So, Rick, um, okay. Yes, the worst, here I am. The worst Glad of, to be here. Huh, the worst of all possible worlds. We last talked about this as a potential situation uh, several weeks ago. I think it was in January. And here we are now in March. We've got, um, you know, Russia and Ukraine facing off, really Russia against the Western Alliance. But, of course, they're not actively involved yet. And this so resonates to me as the episodes leading up to World War I where the slightest mistake can cascade you into an unimaginable future. Are we that close? Well, I'm not sure that that comparison holds up on close examination because it's – I mean, there is this idea that I think you were sort of mentioning in a, a few minutes ago, and this, you know, it's fairly common that, that somehow, you know, Europe stumbled into World War One. There was some sort of accident, and and uh, you know, this was, you know, somehow people woke up one morning and they found out that everybody was at war. And I don't really think that's the way that it happened at all. Um, there were circumstances that were created that people reacted to. Okay, there's the old saying: you can't control what happens to you. The only thing you can control is how you react to it. So there were things that happened in Europe in 1914. Most notably, the, the, the key event, the one that's always said that started the war, was the assassination of the Austro-Hungarian Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo. That story goes on again. And somehow, because this guy was shot, and a, an Austro-Hungarian Archduke was shot by a Serbian nationalist terrorist, that that then somehow turned into the actual the first declaration of war being between major powers being between Germany and Russia. So other countries became involved in this, but this wasn't accidental. It was because of a situation that 
required some type of response or, or enacted a response, and people made decisions consciously, knowing that they were pushing this situation. Well, see, further. I see that pattern playing out, and I'll tell you, the, the thing that struck me about this war, I mean, I don't know how many wars you lived through. You know, together, we're roughly the same age, and when I last counted, there was something like 147 declared wars going on on the planet right now. We're only hearing about the big one, but the others have been going on for decades. So um, here's, here's the question. This somehow feels different. And I'll give you an example. Um, a few days ago, three heads of state from Poland, Slovakia, and I, 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 maybe Lithuania, all got on a train, went to Kiev, met with the, the president of, of uh, uh, Ukraine, advertised 24 hours ahead of the event that they were going, showed up, made themselves incredible sitting ducks for a Archduke Ferdinand II moment where Putin takes out three heads of state by lobbing a cruise missile into that, that train. And none of it makes any sense. There we go. Well, why would it make any sense for Putin to kill three heads of state who are, who are paying a state visit? What would he possibly have to gain by that? Because the only way he's going to rescue himself now is if this becomes a war between him and NATO. At home, his fate is hanging by a thread. He's got to turn this into part of his years-long drumbeat of written documentation of his mindset. He must focus on the West as the enemy, and this Ukraine business has merely been a prelude to his real, quote, enemy where he is. The West is the enemy. Hasn't everything, including Joe Biden's statement that Putin should be overthrown? I mean, here's a, here's a leader of one country basically standing in the public saying another, another, uh, another ruler has no rights, room should be removed. Well, at what point should they that make, pronounce... making a sweeping at, godlike statement that what in some point, way he Rick, stands Rick, on the Rick. He can make these kind of Rick, decisions. That, he, that they're Rick, at war. They Rick, are the enemy. Rick, he is deliberately bombing thousands of civilians daily now. Oh, that's how do you know that? It's called social media. There's so uh, many cameras looking at so many things. Yes, that's available. And and you you've actually seen thousands of dead civilians. Given how cities are packed, it's, I can't help but feel they cannot still be alive. Are they packed? How many people have evacuated Kiev? Well, in Kiev, it, it's a city of almost 3 million, 2.8. About a yeah. million people have left, leaving almost 2 million people in Kiev. Do we know that exactly? Who cares about exact I numbers? I mean, look, it's the, the, the order casualty of, of any business. war is truth, all right? And, and, and it's So you're defending what Putin being, is doing. There are propaganda. Let's cut to the chase. Are you defending what Putin is doing? I'm, not, I'm saying he's not. There's no proof that he's doing it. That's like the statement of when did you stop beating your wife? So you basically think that everything we're seeing is. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not going to. There's, there's far too much media manipulation and propaganda. The first casualty of any war is the truth. 
And therefore, that's the, I don't know exactly what's going on. And I don't trust any particular, the sources of information are all contaminated. Well, then you were in a, a state of paralysis, analysis paralysis. Well, I'm not jumping to conclusions. And I also am not taking sides, which you obviously have. I'm kind of against genocide, yeah. What genocide? Where do you think four million now, that, Ukrainians are fleeing from if it's not genocide? That, you, know, you know how much it takes to drive someone out of refugees, their home? Re- refugees, well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a complete hyperbolic statement. I mean, this is, so, this is why I think this is a difficult <laughs> subject to talk about when things are going on. And, uh, you know, why, why I think it's kind of pointless to argue perceptions of reality. Okay, you, uh, basically, Rick, decide, you basically decided what reality is. No, I'm watching data. No. That's what decides what reality no, is. No, you're watching television. <laughs> it's not data. And the television is what? Making up all these videos. They're literally got a studio, some backlot somewhere, and they're cranking out horrible visions again and again and again on a mass scale, an industrial-level scale. Or an industrial-level scale. Is the, is the simpler explanation that a lot of people now have smartphones, and there's a thing called yes. the Internet, and they're showing us reality like we've never seen it before. It's Vietnam well, on they're showing, steroids. They're, they're, they're showing you something. You know, I, I, All I, those really, burned don't think, and I don't really think that this is a, that this is a profitable... Okay, this is exactly the type of thing that I don't want to be drawn into. I don't want to make predictions about something that is ongoing. I don't know what's happening. I don't trust the sources of information. And you've basically taken a side. You've taken a position. You have, you have accepted a narrative, and everything that fits that narrative is what you will believe, and anything that doesn't fit the narrative is what you'll reject. Did or did not Putin invade So I'm not really sure that we have anything further to talk about. Well, that's an interesting thing. You, you want to leave the show. Well, why don't you suggest something that you think could be uh, profitably served in the next 40 minutes? Uh, Richard, could I throw in a question? Yeah, sure. If you, uh, Rick, uh, to Rick, Rick, what's your comment on the 15 uh, generals, et cetera, that have um, died, been run over by their own men with a tank, or committed suicide in the case of the latest one? Is it, is it 15? Earlier today, the number was seven. How did that magically jump to 15? I could send you a link. Uh, the Daily Mail's been a pretty neutral adver- observer of this sort of thing. The, a, a British tabloid newspaper has been a neutral observer. Uh, okay, that's a cheap shot against them. They've been doing good journalism. No, that, that's, that's a perfectly honest shot against them. Uh, well, they do so, cover the royal. Fa- rate, they do cover the royals, um, like any I, British I'm paper. Sure, but this is know, news. I, this there, really, don't deflect. Yeah. Do you yeah. think those generals exist now? alive or not i don't know do you uh well they're when you have two or three separated sources that say yeah okay they're dead and the uh the latest report that came out of an oversight committee 
that uh, supposedly is run by the Russians discovered that one of the reasons that the one committed suicide a couple of days ago is that he's the head of a tank battalion, and he discovered that 90% of their reserve tanks, which Putin told him to go roll out and add to the fray, uh, were inoperable because they had all been cannibalized for parts while they sat in the warehouse. Putin told him this personally. A general uh, of a tank battalion had a personal conversation and was told this personally by, by Vladimir Putin. So there's been no deaths and no explosions, and Putin's not really on the air. He's a, uh, he's a simulcrum created by fake news uh, image propaganda? I don't quite understand. You have to start somewhere, and then you figure out whether the people are telling you accurately no, or not. No, you basically made a statement that this man had been told. You said that he was told by Vladimir Putin that this was going to. So you have presumed that there was a meeting or some direct communication between them. Which you have right, and I don't know the details of it, but no, the story you don't know is... the details. You don't know anything. <laughs> really? Not knowing the details is <laughs> not equivalent to not knowing anything. You All know right, better um, than that. You know better than that. I, I think I, I think I'm pretty much finished here. So, Rick, I asked you if you would take the conversation in the direction you thought was more profitable. Yeah, no, I'm done. All right. Awesome. Good night. Good night, Doctor. Ron. Did we lose Ron? Keith? Did we lose Ron? Hmm. Big message. Thank you. Keith, are you there? Hello, hello. I am seeing very weird things on this board, but I'm not hearing anybody. Hello. Hello. Please leave a message after the tone. Message after the tone. We're having a meltdown. Yeah, your video is on, too. All right, we are on the air. Hello? Keith? Hang on, Hang on, Rich. Yeah, we're going out live, you know. All right, let me get a hold of Ron and get a hold of Timothy. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. I'll tell you what, let me... Let me uh, I have some creepy music that I can actually use to cover uh, this moment with. So let's do this, okay? Um, nah, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. Okay. Everyone can guess where this comes from. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hogan. We're going to fix a couple of technical glitches, and we shall return again. Уночі він пише про любов, але в твоїх очах дощить, і ти не знаєш, як припасти йому до душі. Ми навчив. Іран, 
Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this uh, very tumultuous Saturday night. It's March 26th here in the Western Hemisphere, and I have just had a guest uh, figuratively walk uh, out on me, someone who's been a guest many, many times, multiple times, a really invaluable, very uh, uh, important guest who has provided very important commentary and background detail to our efforts to trying to figure out history. And for some reason, um, the subject of the Ukraine war has touched uh, some very hot buttons. And uh, he said that uh, he could not continue with the conversation and, and he left. Uh, Ron, are you with us? Ron? Ron's here. There we are. Okay, I got the right. Okay. Yes, I'm here. Sorry to kill another guest. Yeah. Oh, I think he'll be back. I just find it so interesting that people, I mean, we have not had, 
we have not had this such black and white situation in global affairs since World War II, since Hitler invaded, you know, the Sudetenland, since that debacle went down in terrible flames because people were paralyzed to do anything until it was too late. I mean, I keep seeing these echoes of history, but I guess uh, Rick did not want to grapple with the obvious, overwhelming, uh, brutal behavior of a current head of state in literally pounding the rubble and civilians into, into, into dust. And how he can say to me on the air live, well, how do you know anybody's died? I mean, you either have to believe that all these separate videos are filming the same gestalt, or you have to create such an extraordinarily detailed, multi-level, complex conspiracy involving infinite resources and cameras and studios and the ability to fake anything um, that, you know, reality itself just becomes a kind of a moot point. And what about all those people that we've seen on scene? You know, all the, all the stringers, all the, all the movie stars that are at the Polish sites helping with the refugees and all that other stuff. I mean, that's an awful lot of people to manufacture out of thin air to prove something that imaginary See, is actually this is happening. What, this is where, remember, I have been looking, and this is why I'm really uh, unhappy that Georgia could not be with us tonight. Georgia is down with some kind of a stomach thingy, so uh, she will be back, but uh, she couldn't be on the air tonight. I wanted Georgia on to talk about the fact that this era, this this time we're going through, this this history we're watching unfold in real time right in front of us is echoing my reading of ancient sacred texts that are countless thousands of years old and bespeak to a time when people who used to speak and this is all in terms of metaphors, the same language literally could not communicate with each other. And I'm, I'm watching a situation where even sober, serious, accredited professors of history cannot watch this history unfolding and even begin to admit to some very simple black and white truths. There's a good guy in this fight, a, a bad guy. And it's not hard to tell the difference. You don't have to, you know, do a lot of standing on your head on one, you know, finger to actually determine what is right and what is wrong in this situation. And I think we're going to blow past the break at the bottom of the hour. Ron, that was a lot of, of, of response. So whatever you want to, want to, you know, come back at. Oh, uh <clears throat> No, I'm fine with that. I'm just, uh, I'm just surprised that he um, walked away like that. I would, because all I wanted was his sources. You know, I offered him a link to mine. It's not like the only place I've seen anything. You've known me long enough to know that I always want at least three sources for anything that I come up with. I give everybody else a hard time about that off the air. Um, but can you guys hear? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, Keith, I can hear you. When I did the replay last week. Um, when we had to postpone. By the um, way, uh, by the way, before I forget, can you kill your camera? My camera's yeah, on. Yeah, it's on. Okay. It's been on for hours. Okay. I keep sending you notes. There, it's gone. Uh, in the in the replay of his last show, he did 
he did uh, say that he didn't think Putin was going to invade. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so, and I suspected it was going to happen. And it was like we left it there, and now we're back three weeks later, four weeks later, however long. It's been – it feels like forever, but it's been four weeks since the war started. And he was on days before the war started. And now we're in a new situation. To deny that Vladimir Putin, with the might of Russia, the second largest army on the planet, did not invade this little tiny you know, community called Ukraine – it's like it, it's nuts to think that all that destruction, all that deliberate bombardment of civilians, the population, not the Ukrainian military, but the population, just to kill as many people as possible and to drive them out uh, of, 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 of the country and to not admit that that's the basis of what we're looking at. So you know? we're seeing videos of trainloads of people coming out of Ukraine getting away from the conflict, but yet none of this is going on. Oh, no, they're making all that up. That's just all false, fake news. See, we are so far beyond the edge of the paper when it comes to, you know, because remember, way back when, you guys won't remember this, but I've been on the air since before he was elected, I watched very carefully all of the bizarre statements out of Donald Trump. And when he was there in Kansas City and he made that speech, about don't believe reality, just believe in me. I knew we were involved in an archetypal struggle for how do you know what you know? That epistemological foundation. How do you believe or trust in anything? There's got to be an edifice you've created in your mind with all the traps, all the dead snares, all the blind canyons, all the filters you put information through so that at the end of that process, even if you're not aware of it consciously, you've applied some process to what you're getting in. You balance sources. You look at social media. You look at, you know, who puts in a if, uh, what's her name, Sophie, what's her name from former Soviet Union, post something. You don't put any credence in that at all. In other words, this this is an experience-based appreciation of the world. And to put his current reality through that entire process, which he has codified as a professional in the field, academic, historian, for him to basically sit here on the air and say, you know, Putin's not invaded anything and there's nobody dying in Ukraine. It's, 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 it's beyond words. It's beyond my power of description. Well, he implied that he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he he would. Uh, he would. I think say that. Well, no. I'm just saying that we can't know. You know. But he's he's acting like a caricature of a college professor. I hate to say that, but that's. Uh, but see, that's, that's the cartoon character of this whole bizarre reality that we seem to be trapped in. Well, maybe it's because too much is fake, and I don't mean in Ukraine. Uh, 
the there is so much that people are just vaguely uncomfortable about just under their own surface of is that the truth or is that really what's happening there and that it's not directed at ukraine for most people you know they say okay i can go along with this people fight this is a war i see the guy on one side i see the guys on the other side something's going on they can st- they can get at least that far and feel comfortable with it which is why people are generally have somewhat more clarity in their attitudes than somebody that's used to just working for modeling, I guess, because uh, it's not that hard to read. It's just surprising how strangely true some of the most extreme possibilities have turned out to be, like the fact that a whole bunch of their of the Russians' equipment seems to be in poor repair or just plain old unavailable. Well, we and did say didn't, weeks that, ago, didn't we, that when you go, remember the, the McNamara? No, it wasn't McNamara. Who was the McNamara clone that was um, <clears throat> Secretary of Defense under Bush? Um, you go to Army with the, or the war with the Army you have, not yeah, the Army that, you want. Yeah, that, 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 that guy, that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that... Uh, uh, it was the McNamara clone that came... You know the, the the second technocrat to serve as Secretary oh, of Defense. You don't mean you don't mean Donald Rumsfeld. Yes, yes, Rumsfeld, the clone of, of or or of, as he's called in his hometown of uh, Rancho Santa Fe by some of the people that I knew there, uh, Donald or Ronald Dumsfeld. But uh, they they didn't necessarily agree with him. But uh, <laughs> yeah. That anyway, guy. he uh, brought technocracy to a whole new level in terms of the Pentagon. The first besmircher of this whole concept was, of course, uh, McNamara. Anyway, yeah. be that as it may, um, if you don't believe that all these separate sources frantically putting all these videos showing every possible aspect of this war, including images that cannot be shown on network corporate television, if you think that's all fake, and it's all made up, or your second level position, oh no, the bodies are real, it's just the Ukrainians killing each other to make Russia look bad. In other words, if if you're a tenured academic and you believe any of that crap, you've lost your mind. And I'm trying to be very respectful. I'm, I'm astonished that Rick Spence could not hold out for an hour and defend whatever, I don't know what his position was, that what Putin did not invade Ukraine. That's what it sounded like, and I I I I was kind of flabbergasted myself. That's why I jumped in. I know I was going to listen. You were uh, giving him a harder time than I had planned to, but you were, uh, uh, which was apparently enough. But he shouldn't have reacted that way. So obviously his own paradigm seems to have been dented, and he doesn't like that. Well, remember weeks ago it's he a- he bet that Putin. This is all bluff. And having read some of Putin, including that 7,000-word essay that he wrote last summer or last fall, it's always nice when you can read in the original typescript what the head of state is actually thinking and saying as opposed to a speech written by somebody on the staff. And Putin fancies himself a writer. He's not, by the way. And his thinking process, as it comes out on the page, can be very disconcerting and very contradictory to, again, most of the tenants that Spence went through with painstaking precision weeks ago laying out as the backdrop to why Putin would think he, 
the state, the czar, Putin I, owns Ukraine. And he hasn't been secret. It's like Trump has not been secret about all the weird things he thinks. You know, we're in an era where the weird is just out there and you make your decision not based on is it secret, but is it, is it, is, is it supported by any other facts? The idea that this war is the West's fault somehow because we were hemming in a more and more paranoid Russia with more and more um, uh, joiners of NATO. I mean, NATO is a defensive bureaucracy. It takes forever to get NATO to make a damn decision about a paperclip, let alone sending, you know, uh, you know, MIGs to, to Ukraine in time to make any difference. So the idea that NATO was a threat, the only threat that NATO was a threat to was any Russian head of state's willingness to seek an expansion and a return to the old empire. And what do we find in Putin? There's the guy. And how do we know? Because he wrote about it again and again and again and again. And it would have taken very little for someone to whisper in his ear, okay, now's the time. Putin should have joined NATO. He should have had Russia join NATO. And he said, what are they going to do, reject us? And then if anything took place, if Ukraine decided to attack by Russia – Oh, guess what? NATO's going to have to step in and do something. Or if they don't, then Russia has an open gate to go in and attack Ukraine. But he didn't well, do that. Keith's right on that point. The, they want, he apparently wanted to somehow goad NATO into joining the fray, and then he could claim a wider war, which would overwhelm in its significance – all of these petty little problems like the fact that their maintenance sucks and people have been stealing behind his back and all the other things that paranoids worry about anyway, uh, it would have been bigger. You know, this is, oh, this is a world war, but of course I'm the one to lead you. And that's what he was aiming for, but he couldn't pull it off. He couldn't pull it off. They clearly thought that they would be welcomed, I mean the Russians, with open arms when they got there. At least that's the that way Putin saw That is so started. crazy. Even well, Americans, even Americans that know nothing about where to find Ukraine on a map, know at some level there's been a war going on there between Russia and Ukraine for eight years, and that war has been simmering, not because people don't love each other too much, but because they hate each other and they want power and control of that part of Ukraine, and it's Russia that wants it. So the idea that they were going to be welcomed as liberators was was crazy from the get-go yeah especially since and i double checked this again today with some some of my sources the people in uh the donbass that he said he was going in there to relieve from the uh enslavement by uh or whatever the hell the problem was supposed to be they were the first ones to start shooting at the russians when they came across the border everybody else was willing to stand by and say well you don't want to come in here Let's talk this over. But the ones that started shooting right at them were those very ones that some of the press is accusing of being Nazis and everything else. doesn't matter why. They were the first ones that said, no, you're Russians. We don't want you here. Go away. Had nothing to do with their language. And that's been distorted in the news apparently somewhat. But uh, okay, okay, I can take that either way, but it makes sense. 
That's an industrial region. Unlike most of Ukraine, which is farmland, it's um, what hasn't been burned to a crisp now. Uh, It's got a bunch of big industry there, and Russia doesn't have any right now. Their economy's in the toilet. They have nothing to export except raw materials, and that's not a good way to live. You know, if you're an oil emirate or something, you don't need anything else. But uh, the uh, for a country like Russia, no, they they used to have manufacturing and all that other stuff, but it never advanced. Well, it was never allowed to advance, and that gets it. See, I wanted to ask yeah. Rick, as an historian, having yeah. read because I sent him some of the writings as kind of background for the conversation about Putin, things that Putin himself had written over the years. I want to try to find out from, from you know, an academic historian who reads documents and papers and memos and, and email and letters for, for a reason, what he thought was going on in Putin's mind to start the unthinkable, unless he was working on such bad information, deliberately fed bad information, so this event that makes no sense would inevitably somehow now come about. I just get this feeling that this is, even though the participants are, are, are honest about it, it's somehow a manipulated event. Somehow Putin got played. He's gotten played by – and since he's got such a small circle of trust at this point, it's uh, – uh, Hard to imagine who that was. I have suspicions. Well, that gets back uh, to Rumsfeld's line, you know, you go to war with the army you've got. He did not know that the shell that he thought of as the supreme, you know, Russian army is nothing but a false front Potemkin village. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. In fact, thanks for saying Potemkin. Yes, you bring in the – that's where that term comes from. For those and, people who are not historically minded, since we've lost our historian for the time being, what was Potemkin? How did a village figure in in some god awful war the Russians got involved in, and what was the whole point of it? Ron, it's not, oh, you're, you're, oh, you're asking me? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I never even saw the movie, but it's the uh, the point is that it's a it's a complete false front. You know, you um, the uh, simpler model of it in modern times, which has been used. We used it in Vietnam. Uh, the various countries have used it in various places. You, you, put up, you put a bunch of cardboard tanks out in the field that can be spotted by the um, airplanes that fly overhead or the satellites higher up, and they can't tell the difference if you do a nice job of it. And they say, oh, my goodness, they've got thousands of tanks lined up. And uh, really, they're not. That's the simplest uh, yeah, Potemkin village. I think it was a it was a model uh, model village set up to give the image of perfection when it was really just fake. It was all false fronts. I mean, I go back to my central question that Rick did not answer because I don't think there is an answer that keeps us on the edge of the paper. Why did three European heads of state risk everything to go to Kaviv? To be there with uh, Zelensky. Why did they let the world? Why did they let the world know 24 hours ahead of time? Were they bait for Putin, and Putin didn't take the bait? Go ahead. 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that was. It, it's. Uh, it, it came out of a conversation I had with you uh, the other day about something else. But I said, okay, that fits into there because I know you know it. You started right away saying, why did they take a train? Why did they take a train? Well, they're not messing with the trains. So I said, okay, analytically, why are they not messing with the trains? The Russians, I mean. I mean, it's not like they don't have planes and missiles. Um, the, because it's largely farmland. You know, everybody has at least seen the news, which I suppose everyone, even college professors, will accept that the you, uh, that Ukraine is an area that grows an awful lot of wheat and crops that uh, feed a lot of places, including Russia. And uh, the way to get grain to market is to load it onto boxcars or suitable carriers and and use trains. That's what trains are for. Is because you know you can have a train that's six miles long. You know you can carry out you can move a whole bunch of stuff all at once. Well, if they if he wanted to take over the country to add that to Russia because Russia does they produce a lot of grain as well, but not enough. You know they uh, you wouldn't want to destroy the trains. You just have to rebuild them. Uh, yeah, so but that's figured, that, okay, that doesn't look. You can now with a, with a cruise missile, even the Russian technology, you can yeah. you know, pick the left window as opposed to the right. So you can take out one rail car, do nothing for the track that can't be repaired in an afternoon, and you'd make an incredible statement that they were going to a war council, that they were violating <clears throat> whatever uh, non-aggression pact that Russia thinks it has between it and Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, why advertise? Why make a big fat target? And I still don't have a satisfactory answer because when I pose the same question – around Biden doing the same thing. The closest he got to the war zone was on the other side of, of the line in, I think, Warsaw. And the, the Russians this morning attacked uh, some couple Kaviv. of weeks outside of, Lviv. of yeah. Lviv, which is the closest they could bring the war to, to Poland, to, to NATO, without going over the line. So, I mean, it's all about brinksmanship and mine is bigger than yours and in, in the meantime, thousands of ordinary Ukrainians are dying, and it's 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 such an overwhelming catastrophe that it's just it's almost like Rick is on overload and he can't see it. Uh, that's probably pretty close. Yeah, he's uh, some people can't handle having uh, bad data. You know, if you realize that some of your own data is wrong, I don't myself. I don't mind being wrong. But uh, I I don't like it. But <laughs> it's like oh okay, better gotta straighten that out. You know but this whole problem of how do you believe? What do you believe? Who do you believe? Yeah. Goes back to NASA's first principle. You know the so-called NASA mantra. Ne- never a straight answer. No, no, that oh. was that was the second one. The first one was no single point failure. The way you guard against a biased perspective is by looking at multiple sources. In an era of social media, where you've got an incredibly high-tech society where Elon Musk, through the satellite system, is keeping all these you know, YouTubers on the air, you've got thousands of videos uploaded per day all over Ukraine showing you any facet of the country that you want to look at for as much time as you have to spend looking. And the Gestalt says they're under an incredible invasion by a big brother 
just across, you know, the, the well, it's, actually it's quite far from the Dnieper, you know, over there in that, that yeah. border called Russia. They're the, you know, victims, and Russia's the aggressor, and Putin is the guy doing it. And there's no ambiguity. There's no ambiguity, and for him not to be able to, you know, look at the daylight and the nighttime and say that side is in night and that side is in day, I just found absolutely stunning. And then, of course, he has to has to leave, which I find. Well, know. a lot of that footage that you mentioned, you know, that uh, the publicly available stuff, it's uh, you're right. It's too much. It's too much for primetime television, basically. But, you know, you can find it on the Web. You know, the bodies littering the ground and the blown up tanks and the actual attacks underway and everything else. That's coming off of commercial satellites with a couple of exceptions that I think I saw snuck in there because there's no possible way that the Maxar array would have been able to would have satellites good enough to pick up what they were detailing from there. So they snuck in a, you know, somebody gave them a military set picture and said, look. This is a picture of the mines, you know, because uh, the military satellites can find mines that are already buried underground. The commercial satellites are not are not quite that good. They don't they're not allowed to be. Uh, but, you know, you know, you'll look, you'll see a little Maxar chop on most of them, a uh, couple of others on some. And that's those, those people couldn't all be complicit in some big uh, secret story. You know, they're commercial enterprises that it's whichever way it goes, it's, you know, it works in their favor because people are using their services. Uh, so they're, uh, you know, and the military data has got to be better. It always has to be better. Uh, I, I only made one prediction about this, this uh, stupid encounter. Cause I, I say stupid because I sympathize for the dead on both sides. There's probably some of the Russian army that I would think were horrible people and it's bad. we're better off without them. But everybody's got their job to do. And if they're, you know, they think they're doing right. Well, I give uh, people in uniform, they get a little credit for me. But anyway, the uh, and most of them look just scared to death. They're just raw recruits. Um, that kind of a that kind of a mess do, doesn't come easily. Uh, but the uh, making up a fabrication to pretend that something like that is going on is just such a bigger job. It's, it's almost beyond comprehension and there'd be no purpose. You know, Kui Bono, who, who gets anything good out of that? It's gotta mean something. Of course the Russians are lying. They do propaganda. Of course the Chinese are lying for their own purposes about what the, their opinions about any of this stuff. Uh, of course our own intelligence agencies will manipulate things as, as they will. But there's got to be raw data in there that's solid, and somebody in Putin's position should have had access to it. Didn't Putin go on a soccer field before a game and explain to the Russian people why they went into Ukraine? Is that also staged? Putin said, oh, let me go ahead and work with these people and stage this whole thing? Oh, you mean at the stadium? It was a week or so ago? It wasn't yeah. too long ago. Yeah, and he's a, you see him standing there in a in a suitably warm jacket because I'm sure it's chilly in Moscow right now. Fourteen thousand dollars warm. Oh, that's a very warm jacket. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> well, he is an oligarch. What the hell? Uh, the yes, yes, and the re, the report from uh, the news services got to got to at least take the information in. Uh, was that they they were driving around in buses in the early morning, going, um, come over to here, get on bus. You're going to listen to President Putin, 
and they, they, they busloaded people in there just to get people in the stadium. And then shortly after he started speaking, uh, he had equipment problems. And uh, just imagine if you could do what Putin would do when his mic cuts off. Uh, and uh, so while they were trying to sort that out, people started drifting away because nobody was paying attention to the people that had been brought into the stand. So the place was practically empty by the time he got to the main part of his speech. Mm. And that, again, is, is supported by social media stuff, you know, the um, Russians and their cell phones. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, people aren't buying, the, aren't buying it anywhere. I, don't know. I, I heard the one stat, and of course I can't prove it, that said that the older people like the post-60 generation in Russia are the only ones that think that uh, this is the right thing to do and that we've got to go clean out them Nazis and everything else. And the younger generation are, have too much access to world news, and they're going, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. On the attitude that my uh, my nephew, who thinks the Earth is flat, takes on when you give him data about why the Earth isn't flat, and he just takes on an attitude of no, I'm right, you're wrong, and oh, gets very if, defensive. If Putin's supporters were half as adamant about their positions as the flat Earthers I've met, the Ukrainians wouldn't have a chance. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but true. Uh, yeah, I know, but that's I, I. There's anyway. Sorry, sorry, Keith. Yeah, no. Most of this is for home consumption in Russia. I think you know most of the, uh, and that's where a lot of the confusion's coming from. Because of course you're not going to get it straight from them. I mean, look at what that. How? Why would you make up something like that news anchor that came on set? on a live show on RT and said, uh, held up a sign that said, stop the war. And all the things that were, <clears throat> are going to happen to her. Uh, oh yes. In oh, this, yes. this uh, time release aspirin. Again, I don't understand Rick's intellectual position because either you have to argue that everything you're seeing is fake or what you're seeing is so catastrophic and it's one guy's problem. He didn't have to do this. We're 60 seconds out from top of the hour, Rich. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. I don't think we're going to solve this tonight. When we come back at the top of the hour, we're going to have Tim uh, Saunders with us. <clears throat> I kind of uh, gave Tim a mission, which is um, kind of unique to our time. I've been hearing an awful lot over the last several <clears throat> weeks about the Russian oligarchs and their toys. I mean, these humongous, exquisite, amazing super yachts. And those of you who have been following the show for a long time, since uh, I began this many, many years ago, many years ago, know I have this propensity of comparing uh, big ocean-going thingies, yachts, ocean liners, the SS United States, the QE2, um, some of these ships I've actually been able to uh, borrow, as an analog to spaceflight. And so as more of this conversation began, um, I began wondering about, uh, was there a, a way we could talk about these, these oligarch yachts 
as the kind of beginnings of what Elon Musk is going to to finish, which is private space-borne ocean liners of the interplanetary deeps. And uh, that'll open up a really interesting set of questions. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, 26th of March, 2022, here in the land of Enchantment. We have with us Ron Gerbron. We're going to be joined shortly by uh, uh, Tim Saunders. Um, we did have uh, Dr. Richard Spence on. He told me because he had this recent operation, he's fine, medically he's fine. Um, that he was really not feeling tip-top, and uh, if he could get by with an hour as opposed to the normal three that we do, uh, that'd be very uh, appreciated. And I, of course, said yes. So I expected to have a very spirited, interesting conversation about the absolutely mind-boggling data surrounding this Ukrainian war that uh, it's like, who ordered this? In whose benefit? In whose possible positive outcome could anybody at any time have imagined that this was a good idea and yet you have a guy named Vladimir Putin who appears to have decided almost all by himself that this was the neatest thing since sliced bread so he ordered you know 150 200,000 troops into Ukraine and they're getting their asses kicked and it's just beginning to dawn on him. He's lost how many generals now? I mean, these, these again, were questions that were legitimate. You know, Ron would bring up a question. You know, how has he lost so many generals? And Rick said, well, how do you know? Well, how do you know anything in an ongoing live news situation? You follow as many different threads in the conversation these days as you can. You try to look for sources that will distill new sources you try and compare those you you're constantly looking at this and that and this and that and you're arriving at this kind of consensus of okay this is going on 
those numbers are probably inflated. Uh, those people are really in trouble. Um, this is going to continue until, in other words, you look at all these big picture elements. <clears throat> anyway, Ron, are you back with us? Oh, yeah, I'm here. I was just, I just moved to the background because I thought Tim was hopping in. I thought he was too. Keith, where are we with finding Tim? We are pinging Tim. Oh, who is in Turkey. So he's in a totally different morning, morning time zone there. Um, yes, but he has yacht vision. He knows all about these super yachts. Well, it's just so amazing that they've suddenly, you know, I mean, I love big ships. They're, they're so, they're so almost there, you know, extrapolating forward to where they're, you know, orbiting a star, orbiting the earth, orbiting, you know, between earth and Mars or whatever, as opposed to on one little ocean of a little tiny world that's all kind of liquid on the surface, mostly anyway, 80%. Uh, are we, are we, are we pinging him, Keith? Yes, I am. Okay. Well, maybe he didn't get the memo either. Communication, you know, I keep saying. Jim, very yeah. interesting stuff in uh, radio pictures, which uh, uh, hung around, he'd be able to see what Tim was presenting. And uh, I'm still here, Keith. You can't get rid of me that easy. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was referring I, to Rick Spence. Spence. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, good. Okay. That's, yeah, I wish he'd stuck around as well. You know, it's so well. weird. I have not had a guest walk off my show in its various iterations going way back to when I was this museum curator in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I would have an evening and morning show and I would drive back and forth across the valley because uh, I literally woke up the valley with a morning show and then I drove to another uh, CBS affiliate uh, south of us, south of uh, Springfield in, in uh, Middlebury, and I did a drive time show in the afternoon and evenings. And I kept that up until um, one night I fell asleep on the air. And oh my God, did that cause repercussions. You know the FCC really gets unhappy with you when you fall asleep on the air? They don't yes, like they it? Yes, do. they do. They, they really don't like that. Anyway, long, long, you know, backstory leaning nowhere. Those were the days when I was interviewing mm. interesting and controversial uh, newsmakers, and I'm not quite sure how I did it, but I landed uh, General Walker. Remember General Walker in the Kennedy era? Mm, yes. Remember what his claim to fame was? Mm, he had a very turgid, general, no. Well, he had a very turgid history as a general, and then he somehow got involved <clears throat> in the Kennedy assassination as some peripheral character um, who apparently someone tried to get rid of him and he got, um, he had a duck because bullets were coming through the wall of his office or something and hit the coffee cup on the desk in front of him uh, where, wherever he was. And that was one of his later claims. To anyway, I was able to get General Walker on the air as a guest on this little tiny station um, there west of Springfield called WDW. Do, as in do line, as distant early warning system 
dew line. And the talk shows back then, kind of, they didn't have their own personal personalities, a lot of them. And so you went under the general rubric of the station. And because it was, you know, mostly talk, it was the dew line. And there was a pun and all that good stuff. Anyway, General Walker uh, walked out of my studio. He physically was in the studio in um, uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Got up, walked out of the studio. Um, first time I'd ever had anybody, certainly of that stature, you know, leave me cold on the air. And now all these decades later, Dr. Richard Spence said, I'm out of here. Uh, you did have one other leave. Mm. And that was my fault. That was my fault as well. Remember? I'm trying to remember the show, uh, the show topic. Well, it wasn't delivered. It wasn't by design. No, I asked him. I asked him like one question, and he said, "That's it. I'm out of here." And I, I wasn't. It was. I, I can't remember the details. Maybe Keith could. But it's. Hmm. Uh, I'm just. I'm just a radio terminator. I'm sorry. Uh, I like to get to the point. Okay, so I, I get. I take it that we don't have Tim with us yet. Nope. Uh, he's showing a yellow light, which means that. Uh, He's uh, logged in, but he's just idle and hasn't he hasn't gone green at any point. Hmm. Have you sent Try a message? Some... We're doing all this on-air pro- production, folks, because that's the only way you can do it. Welcome to huh. Backstage Radio. I would I would type him a little message and say we're all waiting with bated breath. I mean, you put a number of interesting things in the radio with pictures, so I presume we're going to be able to. Uh, talk about those in the meantime um i was very intrigued that the same week that nasa in a completely overwhelmed news story rolls out the artemis spacecraft that's going to take us back to the moon and all the stuff we know is sitting there just waiting the same week nasa opened up a 50-year-old sealed core tube from Apollo 17 that apparently is the bottom of the top that was opened in 2019. And this core tube, the material has been kept um, under vacuum uh, for half a century. And so the same few days that NASA's rolling out the... um, Artemis spacecraft that's going to take Americans and others back to the moon. Uh, NASA, you know, opens the sample and begins a very detailed 21st century technology analysis of materials that were deliberately set aside so that as science progressed and technology progressed and the instrumentation got better, um, this would be a pristine sample like you'd gone to the moon yesterday and brought it back to apply current technology, which has made considerable advances since the first moon landings back in uh, 69. Yes. And it was double vaxxed or vacked, double vaxxed. Mm-hmm. Because the, uh, yeah, the, the, for, the, for some reason, the top half of that core sample and I'm, uh, 
maybe you understand exactly how that would work. I, I do not. But the okay, two of them. But the one on the top was vacuum sealed, but this uh, the, the lower one has an extra jacket of vacuum around it. So it's vacuum sealed inside its own little separate vacuum chamber. And so it was really protected. Well, I understand they were the top and the bottom of, of one core tube. So how they broke the tube apart and packaged it, I'm I'm not up on the details. But obviously, if you're going to put something away for future technology to, to analyze, it'd be nice yeah. if you kept it in as close to its original condition as possible. <clears throat> and apparently the double vacuuming uh, technique uh, like what we used to call an old-fashioned vacuum bottle, seemed mm-hmm. to work, even over all these 50 years. I wonder what they're going to find besides a lot of ground-up glass. Well, remember, the sensitivities and the discriminability of different chemicals or different elements <clears throat> is now probably a thousand of a factor uh, better than it was back then. So waiting, you know, and setting aside a certain stash to look at with state of the art, whatever that was going to be 50 years down the line. I just find it interesting that these two things happened the same week. We're getting ready to go back to the moon. NASA unveils its, its carefully sterilized and, and uh, preserved sample, and one will lead to the other inevitably. That was just it. Okay. Uh, why don't you well? Why don't you cap that with the uh, describing that thing that's sitting in uh, the Oval Office right now? You re- you reminded me. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Well, this is another thing I wanted to run by Rick because you know, as an historian, we all know that from day one, Joe Biden has envisioned himself as FDR. Hell, he put a huge portrait of FDR uh, over the fireplace on the other side of the Oval Office. And, you know, people kind of casually commented about it, but nobody made the obvious connection when he was setting up, you know, this major agenda. Um, Part of that agenda was not a war. And the, the problem now is how do you evaluate the Biden administration, the Biden years, with the intrusion of this enormous attention-getting, um, incredibly distracting, incredibly destruct land war taking place in the middle of Eastern Europe, <clears throat> where one of the participants, i.e. Russia, i.e. Putin, is bringing up the idea of nuclear confrontation and raising of alert status, not once, not twice, but again and again, and has taken over Chernobyl and taken over another of Ukraine's huge mega uh, gigawattage uh, uh, atomic power plants. So you look at this, and my suspicion bump says this is somehow designed to keep us from looking at something else, something that is going to be equally history-changing, but that we're not being allowed to see because you can't look past the war. The war is on everybody's radar. You know, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has, <clears throat> obviously, as you could tell tonight, very extreme opinions. And their emotions are outweighing their academic 
rational, logical sense to look at the various elements of this and say, why does this make any sense now? That means you have to dig a little deeper. And I don't mean looking at the made-up conspiracies of you know, U.S. bioweapons labs in Ukraine, which, of course, was actually part of the Soviet Union and aired all kinds of Soviet-era experimentation up to and including the creation in those Soviet-era labs of chemical and biological weapons. <clears throat> so, again, the deflection of the politics around this from an obvious historical paper trail I mean, there's no way to deny the Soviet heritage of the state of Ukraine and what it did for decades to try to get out from under that awful history of being part of the Soviet bloc and being ordered to do things and create things that were definitely um, very dangerous, like Chernobyl. So um, it would have been nice if Rick had stuck around to have the conversation, why now? What is different about now? And the only thing I can think of is um, at this hinge point of history where there literally has been, up until relatively recently, mainstream political efforts in Washington, in New York, <clears throat> in London, in other cosmopolitan centers to mainstream the UFO problem up to and including creating its own office in the Department of Defense, reporting directly to the President of the United States on the eve of what we've discussed on the show many times, actual congressional hearings. Well, just as that is all about to go down, suddenly we're all fixated by this huge war, a land war, in Eastern Europe, where nobody's going to benefit, an awful lot of people are going to die tragically, a nation will become a pariah, the head of state, they're already calling for his head. There's no upside for anybody involved in this. So why is this happening? In whose interest is this major, huge war on the terrestrial landscape? And the only... Maybe there's something. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I said maybe there's something in those UFO papers. Remember the remember the papers that were uh, shown to Congress a while ago, and they had a redacted and sanitized version that was made public. Yeah. And they just and they just released the previously classified version a couple of days ago. Which of course did not get any attention at all because everybody is focused on the war. Exactly. See, I have so to that, feel that the war's its own objective. It's designed to soak up all the oxygen in the room, as they used to say in the news business, so that nothing else can get discussed, not even, you know, the, the first black woman to be appointed uh, to the Supreme Court, who's going to be voted into the court probably in the next couple of weeks. Nothing is bigger than the war. Why? Because people are dying. Real people are dying. And for for um, uh, Rick to deny that, and on the scale, and on the deliberate orders of this one guy, I just find, again, I am so baffled, because it's so unprofessional, and in all my dealings with Dr. Spence over the years, the one thing I could have said 
above all else is that Rick is a consummate professional. So what's going on? Why aren't people able to think their way outside of these obvious uh, conundrums that are, you know, filled with false information to make it more difficult to reach a logical conclusion? Uh, maybe it's because we don't have William Randolph Hearst to kick around anymore. <laughs> okay. Remember that little, well, I'm, I'm trying to remember what country it was where they got sent. See, I, it should be well known that I hate politics. I follow them when I have to, and I do my research when I need uh, when I need to clarify my own thoughts about it. But I, I don't live and breathe politics like some people do. Uh, but William Randolph Hearst, uh, you know, the man who, uh, well, everybody that smokes pot knows who he is because he was responsible for most of the anti-cannabis laws because he didn't want them to start using hemp for a paper source because he had he like he had deals for the trees but uh he sent a stringer down to get uh some information on the war that was brewing in was it cuba or panama it was between Somewhere. spain and us and it was over cuba that's there you go and uh, the uh so remember the main yeah, and his pe- exactly and his people looked around and said there's uh well there's, blowing up one ship Okay, you can pull that off. Blowing up half the populated centers of the country of Ukraine and on live television with, you know, a thousand different cameras. No, it's really happening. That's what was so astonishing. It's like he was denying what he's seeing take place. I'm tempted to say something, but everybody out there could fill fill in the blanks about my my feelings about the sensitivities that would cause somebody to do that. Uh, so it doesn't matter. But no, you can give William Randolph Hearst's famous quote that um, you know, he said he'd provide the war. Okay. Said you. He said you know you you get you said that you provide me the story. I'll 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 give you the war. In other words, it was you know it was an early exaltation of um fake news you know make it sound make it sound drastic enough and um i can sell lots of newspapers and trump it up and you know then we'll get this war started and we'll all make lots of money uh, it, kind of analogous to what's going on now except as you said there's thousands of different uh inputs and outputs there's there's cameras everywhere literally everywhere everybody's pocket and they're getting used, and that's just that's just an, logistically it's impossible, you know, to coordinate that stuff. You can't even sift through it. I mean, it's so so much of it is is random, and uh, it's like they're all <clears throat> just the the shock value is enormous because you don't know what you're going to see next. And I mean, even what I had decided to get Wait a minute, you're kind of breaking up. We're losing you, Ron. Oh, no. Uh, Gee, I didn't do a single thing. Let me see if I'm getting half a bar. Now you're back. Okay. Uh, um, Yeah, uh, the idea that the Russian military infrastructure would be in such disrepair is very hard to take. You know, you hear stories that, okay, you put some industrialists in charge of it and they, they. fine-tune everything to their own needs. And well, their this, own is, this is even profit. weirder. It's like 
it's like <clears throat> they've been cannibalizing all this mechanization sitting in the warehouses to keep the some troops and some armor and some artillery and some tanks, you know, doing exercises in the field. But haven't they poured, didn't Putin pour billions of dollars equivalent of, you know, to to a good chunk, chunky percentage of what we spend, like in one year, yeah. over 20 years to try to modernize. And it looks now like all that money went whisking away to some oligarchs, you know, of whatever. Yeah. He took it to Tim to buy him a yacht, you know. <laughs> Tim, I'm not taking a shot at you. That's just, it was, it's, oh, it's, the only it's, it's, we know that's in that business. Is Tim finally with yeah. us? Uh, no, he's not with us yet. I'm just hoping. I just yeah. thought I'd throw his word in there. Tim, we miss you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the oligarchs have been stealing it. And they've been, since Putin has apparently been keeping very close counsel, this just keeps driving, it's driving me crazy. It keeps reminding me of the Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, this is like the small council. It gets mm. smaller every day. He doesn't he doesn't know who to trust, and so he trusts fewer and fewer people, and that makes you much more vulnerable to manipulation. Maybe it's in their blood. I mean, the uh, uh, yeah, but well, look, uh, any of these guys are students of history. You know, it's like that old you know uh, joke about the 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 uh, um, fairy godmother and the three wishes. And you always know that when someone is presented with that option, they're going to blow it. Somehow right. they never get their three wishes because they don't think logically, what does this mean? So anyway. Yeah, there was a – Jim is now green. He's just probably getting his Earl Grey. Okay. Morning. Excellent. Do they do they drink <laughs> Earl Grey in Turkey? Uh, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, he's on the west coast of Turkey there. Uh, I think he's on the Adriatic, I think. Anyway. It's very cosmopolitan. A little bit of oil of bergamot in your tea. And mm. it's yes, yes. I love I love Vero Gray. Anyway, so um, I just can't imagine Putin, KGB, you know, it's, it's you know, Mr. Mulder trusts no one. It's like, why would, yeah. why would he not have multiple sources? The only way that you can guard against this kind of in information entrapment is to have multiple sources, no single point failure. It's like, you know, intelligence 101, governing 101, politics 101, media 101. If you don't know what your audience is thinking, you're dead. So the idea that he would invade thinking, A, they were going to welcome him as a liberator, and B, that he actually had an army to invade with. I mean, it's it literally, you, 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 the image that comes to mind is one of these shiny tanks. And if you take, you know, a screwdriver and, and touch it, you find out that, that all that armor is really just tinfoil. There's nothing underneath. There's balsa wood. It's, it's that bad. The tanks are balsa wood with aluminum foil covering. Right. Well, the, the Chinese have done that. The North Koreans have done that. We've done that. The Brits have done that. It happens. But uh, the, they, have, they have their own version of DARPA. Actually, that will be on my research list this week. I don't know much about their, their labs. But, I think, you know, they have, high, they have uh, hypersonic missiles and, and stuff like that, which they claim they had at a more, 
uh, mature stage than anybody else's, although apparently that's not the case. The um, One of the things I double-checked recently was, yeah, they've had a tw- somewhere between 20 and 60% failure rate of their uh, of their missiles that, that the Russians have crazy. Which means, yeah, and that's not maintenance. That means that they're not put together right. Well, remember the hole in the space station. Wait, 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 wait. You're missing another possibility. Okay. Okay. What if it's really exotic, high-tech weaponry that is masquerading as 60% failure? In other words, if I control a hyperdimensional technology that makes it impossible to bring two elements together, then it'll look uh-huh. like it's a failure, but suppose it's an active weapon system designed to look like a failure. Anyway, hold it there. Well, My guest this morning, Ron Gerbron, someone said to me some weeks ago, you know, Ron never gets a chance to talk. Well, tonight was his roll of the die. In fact, I'm going to talk about dice and dies. Is it dies, S, or dice, D-I-C-E, or Andrew Dice Clay? That's a question for trivia. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and when we come back, hopefully we will have Tim Saunders with us, because I want to talk about oligarchs and their yachts. I'm fascinated by multi-hundred million dollar yachts, because they sure do look like Spaceships to me. We shall return. The other side of midnight dot com. back everyone on this Saturday night Sunday morning here on the other side of midnight from the land of enchantment my guest this morning is Rick Sherbron uh, we did have Dr. Rick Spence with us what did I say Rick Sherbron Ron Gerbron. and um, because he uh, couldn't take the heat wasn't very warm he just kind of uh, left I've never had a guest 
I mean, for decades, ever since General Walker, I haven't had a guest just kind of walk out. Do we have Ron and Tim with us? Nope, I'm, I'm here. Tom, uh, Tim. <laughs> Do we have Harry? No. <laughs> okay, so is Tim or is Tim not with us? Tim's not with us, but we still have Ron. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, well... All right. Um, I, was eating, I was eating Doritos. That didn't seem like to be something I should do on air. Probably not. Let me let me kill that. Crunch, crunch. Don't want to do that either. Okay. Gosh, my board tonight is acting very uppity. Um, okay. Um, going back to what we were talking about just before the break, the thing that's kind of backstopping all this conversation is. This is the year when up until Putin went nuts, the world was poised to accept some kind of discussion out of official Washington that UFOs, ETs, multidimensional beings, whatever, whatever they turn out to be, all that phenomenology turns out to be real, not crackpot, nutty stuff. And the Department of Defense has now set up an office to deal with it. And it's against that backdrop that when Biden was elected, one of the first things we know that the White House did was to call over to NASA and to actually ask for a specific uh, lunar sample, which we have posted uh, on our website many different times. Uh, I can probably try to find it and we'll post it after this show. But it basically shows in a little glass case a stunningly symmetrically damaged artifact, clearly some kind of artificial gadget device technology icon, uh, memorial, memento, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, 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 it's there. And it was specifically requested by this president to have in the bookcase in the Oval Office when else Again, this is my model. Something else was supposed to happen. Just like COVID-19, this war was not supposed to happen. And some entities behind the scenes have manipulated things so they have happened. The art form that I wanted to get into Rick Spence with was, well, what could happen next? So do we have Tim with us yet? Uh Tim is on the line. Uh, he's just muted right now. Mr. Tim? Saunders, are you there? Hmm. Good morning. There he is. Good That's morning, that. Tim. I'm just plugging in. It's a little bit of an echoey position I'm in today. Yeah, it does sound but like you're sitting in a in a tiled hall. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> See, echolocation. <laughs> All those decades in radio, yeah, it, it, it tuned your ears. Okay, well, all right, so we have you in a, in a tile hallway, uh, probably lots of white around. Now, that's just being presumptuous, Richard. Oh, okay. You have no idea about the color. 
Nope. But, uh, the echo, sure, is coming from the hard surface. Mm. Well, did you hear the news at the top of the other side of midnight that Rick Spence refused to stay on for the whole hour? In fact, he, he thought Ron had somehow overstepped a boundary, and he quit. He left. He ran away. Well, it doesn't sound like Richard Spence. No. He usually stays for an in-depth conversation. So did anybody upset him? Uh, I did. You did, Ron. Good morning. Yes, Good yes. I, good evening. How are you, sir? I uh, I don't know why. I just asked him about all of the missing generals, and he went off. Right. Okay. So you're talking about the Ukraine, I guess. I didn't listen to the beginning of the show. Right. Well, you and well, you you know me well enough to know I, I generally hate politics, but I don't. Uh, I'm also very scrupulous about my sources. So, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was saying something that was spurious. But um, I was just raising the idea. That, I mean, and I use a couple of specific examples of where there are aspects of this that are so off the edge of the paper. In any, you know, who done it? <clears throat> if the writer wrote this, the producers and the directors and the film company would say, you know, we're not going to fund that. No one's going to believe that. <clears throat> and I gave right. a very specific example: how you had three heads of state, prime ministers, take a train to the middle of a war zone where Russia's, you know, dropping cruise missiles left and right, and they're perfectly safe. They advertise it a day before they're going. They get there, they have the meeting, they get home, they're okay, nothing happens to them. You know, I mean, their security people are obviously going crazy. And when you look at a comparable uh, example, uh, the closest Biden was allowed to get by the Secret Service was in uh, Warsaw, which is a long way from Ukraine. So none of that made sense because the only way Putin is going to stay in power now is if he opens up a second front with nato and somehow makes in the eyes of his own people his prediction that nato and the west are the bad guys and they're the enemy and they're the ones who are threatening you know mother russia etc through you know dreaded bio labs in ukraine or whatever that's the only way he gets his wish that this gives him an exit that allows him to somehow negotiate some kind of a settlement other than that He's put himself in a horrible corner, and I couldn't even get the conversation off the ground with Rick that any of this is real. Well, I, I would certainly agree with you that there's an awful lot of bizarre things going on over there. And, uh, and anybody who thinks also... they know how it started or what the real origins are, they're, they're idiots. This has so many different levels. I'm looking at the event that happened in the South Pacific. That was a real event. If you go and look okay, at those but... images, somebody mm. inserted into our reality in a way that only has happened in the ancient history of the solar system. And I put together a montage as my last item showing the eruption from underneath the uh, Pacific Ocean and then ancient craters that are geometric cubes that were apparently dug out of the surface of these objects. Those are two lunar craters that I picked, but you can see them all over the solar system. Some other kind of technology that literally can warp space and time and manifest unlimited energy 
in this dimension. And that occurred just before in the week lead up to Putin suddenly doing something insane, given what we now know he's not working with. That the army find insane, Richard. Why do you think he's doing something insane? Because I don't think he's Putin anymore. I think something else is, uh, shall we say, manipulating him. And I think I, living in the world, I question if anybody in power is really in power. Actually, I, I would say that we're living in a in a world where it sounds a little far fetched to some people, but I would say that we're living in a world where who most people think are leading are in fact puppets. Well, once and you make that that transition, that leap, then you can stand back and say, okay, who benefits? from what's going on in Ukraine right now? And the answer is none of the players that we can see down here stand to benefit. The only player that I can see that benefits is invisible, wants to stay invisible, is willing to do almost anything to remain invisible, including kill thousands, tens of thousands of people as a distraction to prevent the inevitable unveiling that was on track to happen in the next few months. You're talking about many subjects and many facets of many subjects at the same time. Ron made a point earlier. I haven't even begun on that one first. So, um, first of all, Ron, I, I would totally agree that it's absolutely necessary to be you know, very careful with the sources of information we find. And also, to, once we have those sources of information, as much as they may sting or as, as allergic as you may feel to what these information is, then it's necessary to look at both information from both sides of the line to make it a, a call. And at the end of the day, our call is only as good as the information we have. And uh, to, to listen to what's being broadcast on mainstream media, in my opinion, is that's insane. Um, it seems well, I couldn't that, agree more. Yeah. It seems to me that the West, and the West is a huge generalization, but the United States, United Kingdom, Euro, uh, European Alliance, uh, let's take those guys for a, a start. They seem hell-bent on war. There's no talk of negotiation. There's no talk of um, calming things down. There's no talk of even seeing the other side of the uh, the coin and it seems they're all hell-bent on instigating war. I, I think it I think that Putin does have a point. I think he has been surrounded. I think there have been agreements and understandings broken and I, I do not say that marching into a country with a lot of military equipment and personnel, um, I do not think that, that is something that is correct, obviously. Um, but I think that this story has been going on for at least a decade, and probably the origins of that story have been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years before that. This is not something new. I think this is a, a chapter in a, a long story uh, that is unfolding. And I would also even question the possibility that Putin and the members of the West are 
playing along uh, to um, yeah an organized sort of ad lib storyline. So that's my <laughs> my observation at the moment, and I'm not just you know getting high or drinking beer on the beach or you know just watching one channel on TV. I'm listening to an awful lot of sources, and many of those are independent, and some of those include people who are actually in Kharkov or Kiev. If you may recall, Richard, I was there just over a year ago. Um, I had no idea any of this would play out, and I, I cannot say I was there to research what was going on. I was not. I was there for a completely and utterly uh, innocent reason for about 10, 11 days. Uh, but Along those 10 or 11 days, I did bump into a few people and had some interesting conversations, and uh, some of them I am still in contact with, and having information sent to me, which may or may not be true, but it does conflict with uh, the, the view taken by uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the mainstream prostitutes, if I may say. Prostitutes, I like that. Well, what's the I conflict? Mean, can I, can, well, what's the conflict? I'm not saying we have to stick up from them. I just uh, what's the what's, what's the, the conflicted? Conflict? Yeah, what's the conflicted information? Let's put it that way. Well, if you listen to mainstream media, then we're supposed supposed to believe that Putin is some megalomaniacal sort of Hitler figure that's invading and hell bent on killing people and, and desperate to uh, you know, destroy and destruct and, and to take over the world. I mean, that, that's sort of the idea that I believe the mainstream media is pushing. Maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating uh, slightly, but I'm not that All I'm much. doing is watching videos of the Russians pounding Maripol and <clears throat> these other cities into, into, into rubble for no reason. There's well, no military reason. And the soldiers doing it don't seem like they're terribly crazy about doing it either. That's a, I think that's a significant factor in, in my view. The fact that the, the, the Russian army seems strangely unmotivated. You know, they were making comments, which, again, from the cell phone armies, you know, we were hearing this directly. Okay. You know, saying, say, we can't, you know, I don't want to kill these people. They look just like us. You know, or I play, I play, I play chess over the Internet with this guy. You know that kind of stuff. I mean, they were they they were completely confounded. This wasn't like going into Syria. Where 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 would you suppose those videos you're watching come from? What's the source of those videos? Do you think who who would be there on the Russian side taking video and listening to the conversations of the Russian soldiers as they? No found... no no no. This is not the Russian side. This is no no. This is conscripts who are quitting. Who are giving themselves up. Who are then being okay. given cell phones so they can call their parents or their family back in Russia and tell them where they wound up because they didn't know they were even going to be in Ukraine. Well, again, I, I cannot vouch for this because I have not seen your sources, but I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you relaying the information. I, I cannot say that I'm not going to take it on board because that would just simply be ignorant. Um, but maybe that's happening. Maybe some of well, that is like happening. Well, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much social media because of the ability of technology now to bring us in, these incredible graphic imagery, you know, from that, that 
that playhouse that was destroyed by the Russian bomb, even though they put children out on both the front and the back lawn <clears throat> so that pilots would see that it was a, it was a refuge. You know, there's a deliberate effort to kill as many people as possible, but to what end? I don't agree. I don't agree. The sources I'm hearing, uh, I've talked many times and messaged many times with um, a person. I will not say where, but somewhere in the Kiev area. Uh, I asked, what are, what are the biggest fears right now? Because clearly it, it's a war zone. And I haven't spoken to him for probably two or three days. But let's say it at a point frozen in time, um, within the last seven days, he said the biggest fear is there is a, uh, a large area of open ground, like a, like a stadium close to where he was staying at that time. And he is afraid that that will be used by the Ukrainian forces as a, uh, a launch site for uh, missiles, weapons, and that type of thing. And that will therefore make that district a target from the Russian side. And so that's the biggest fear, number one. Number two, the second biggest fear is when going out to, to buy uh, food, water, that the Ukrainian side would um, basically take him away and force him to fight against the Russians, which is something he doesn't believe in. And I'm just, just relaying the message. I didn't write this myself. So No, it's okay. Isn't your, um, Ukra your Ukrainian friend? I, I'm not a Ukrainian friend. I'm neither a Russian friend nor a Ukrainian friend. I am just... No, 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 no. Your source. Your source. Your source. I'm just... Okay. Drop the pronoun. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's the, it's a phone connection. Was it your... Um, uh, so this is the person, the person uh, I'm presuming is Ukrainian. You can say he is even if he isn't, if it's if it works for the uh, narrative. You know what I mean? Is that you talked to someone there? Well, more said, relevant, he's, relating he's, his personal, more relevant, personal he's, he's someone who's living in Kiev, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah, it's not a, a trick question. Yes, Hello. Yeah, not a trick. No, not a trick question. No. If I uh, no, if I ask you a trick question, I'll say. This is a trick question, and then I'll t then I'll tell you so that you have some warning. Well, Which I will also myself wrong. Give me some. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume you would, sir. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, that's not a problem. I'm just saying I don't own a TV, by the way. So uh, it's uh, all the uh, information I get is either audio or it's on the three inch three inch thumb screen of my phone here. And I mentioned my major update source, which I then check if I can, uh, which currently is the Daily Mail, who seem to be doing a very good job of having up-to-the-minute news. Right. I don't, necessar I don't necessarily assume every word of it is gospel, but it's good information, and it does hold together. And I know something about the problems of extended uh, narratives that happen to be, well, less than truthful. So that you have to be very careful about how you modify them or extend them or something. And, you know, they, they seem very consistent. The Guardian, to name another British paper, has, has their moments. They have some good coverage, but they, uh, they have a fairly obvious bias to the way that they write the stories. 
which you know I don't see in the Daily Mail, which is more of a news board. So that's uh, I don't think Rick liked that analogy, but it's you know it, it's a start. It's a good starting point, and I like the little videos. And the uh, perception that I get is that Putin got misdirected. I don't think that he's nothing but a fire-breathing monster. I uh, close to it, but I mean you know he's 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 a despot. Nobody argues that he's autocratic as hell. People disappear when they disagree with him. He's, you know, Hell, there he, are other world leaders like that. people. There's that. You know, yeah, the polo- Navalny yeah, polonium. was poisoned twice. The guy with polonium okay. some years ago. Guys, the, guys yes? that was yep. in Salisbury. That is my hometown in the UK. I, when I went to my, visit my hometown, I yes. specifically went to the restaurant where, the pizza restaurant where they especially... Uh, where the poisoning with uh, radioactive material was supposed to have happened. I especially went there because, not because to sort of, you know, uh, say I've been there, but just because it's a phony story. Come on. It's, it's such, it's such a, a phony story. I mean, what did it do? It, it allowed people to, it, it's a typical thing, I'm sorry to use the same borrowed statement, but it is problem, reaction, solution. The, the person walking in the, the park just happened to be the head of biological research at the local government establishment. Just happened to be the nearest bystander. Really? That was a coincidence, wasn't it? You know, there's a whole string of coincidences about this. When you hear these names, words, people, places, I mean, I, I grew up there. I walked between these places. I, I know the distances. I know, you know, they just happened to find this perfume vial full of the remainder of this radioactive material in the river. You know, it, it's really. <laughs> well, the guy, well, wait a second. The guy ended up, the guy ended up dying or, or, or the Germans. Well, he him. died and his daughter recovered, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, the, as far as a random vial somewhere. But that somewhere. wasn't the polonium. That was, that was, that was, uh, <clears throat> that's Novichok, which is the no. same poison, nerve agent, that uh, Navalny was infected with twice. There we go. Uh, And it's like, I have never bought the story from 9-11 that they found the passport of one, or was it two, of the high, of the... Muhammad Ali's passport was on top, you know, of earning... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, when something like that happens, I just write that off. That doesn't discredit the whole story by itself, as long as something actually happened. And in both these cases, something actually happened. And so, therefore, it's just a datum that doesn't, doesn't fit in. So, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not questioning any of that stuff. But they, the Russians have a track record of that. I think that Putin, who has, on the record, been isolating himself for the last two years, indicating perhaps an incipient paranoid uh, tendency because he was so scared of the coronavirus doesn't say much for their own Sputnik version of a vaccine, but uh, the, uh, that he was, he's been isolating himself and his circle of trust, as I said, has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And that makes you open to manipulation. I compare him to the Romanovs. I mean, if it hadn't been for Rasputin, they'd probably still be czars in Russia. You know, unless you're a Rasputin supporter, in which case he was uh, the savior of what he could save. But in any I, case, I tend, he would. As I say, I tend not to support people. I tend to see, look, look at their actions and look at 
their backgrounds and that's as far as I go. But I, to support is, 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 is like, in my opinion, switching off part of the brain. I mean, people are dynamic, they change, they do things in different days. But anyway, not straight to flow, Ron. No, 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 I'm not. Uh, no, it's uh, um, flow. What's flow? I just throw it out there. Uh, the uh, Maybe it'll stick to somebody. Maybe they'll brush it off like uh, pigeon poop. I don't know. Uh, the uh, No, I just think that Putin is acting within the parameters of what I assumed his character was like. He's just a bit more radicalized. And it seems like he's uh, – that. If you have, if you limit your sources of information to a tiny little fraction of what they once were – then you're more and more influenced by the uh, few that you still talk to. And his primary confidant, uh, according to military sources and everybody else, was that really scary-looking David Icke reptilian kind of character that was in charge of the FSB. And he's just – he's oh, boy, he's he is a spooky-looking dude, whoever that is. Uh, I don't have a list of the names here, but he disappeared a few days ago. Now he's gone, mm. and so his closest confidant at this moment is a fellow, another name. I'm sorry, I haven't caught it. Like I said, I only check into this stuff when I have to. Uh, his name begins with an S. He was the general in charge of their forces at Aleppo, which for people that are fans of war, that was a mess. And this guy did everything, torture, dismemberment, chemical weapons. He's got, it's, it's all lined up against it. He's the, send this guy in. He will kill everybody uh, until the rest of them submit, you know, and he's one, he, there are warriors like that in the employ of various governments. Hopefully we don't have as many, uh, but this guy's got a reputation for that. He's already picked up a new nickname as the butcher of, um, 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 Mariupol. You know, because mm-hmm. they reduced that city to nothing but ashes. I said it looks like the moon. Richard said it looks like Mars. It's you know, it's it's uh, they wiped out the city, and that's where that that's where that uh, theater was. And Richard, you made it sound like they were standing children on the lawn waving at the planes. Uh, they no, they put signs out in front that said in Russia. That's children. what I said. That's what I said. Yeah, you neglected to mention signs, and I was picturing these little tykes standing there in the lawn while the planes came overhead. But no, but they they bombed it anyway. Uh, they knew there were people in there that were civilians, and there was no call for them to not obey those protocols of war. There are protocols that everybody's supposed to follow, even if you hate the guys you're fighting. And that's one of them. You don't, you know, not a, or as the mafia says, not a target, or uh, not a player, not a target. You don't shoot at civilians unless there's a good okay. reason. I'll tell you what, guys, let's hold it there. My guests this morning are Tim Saunders and Ron Gerbron. And we're talking about Ukraine. We had uh, Dr. Rick Spence with us for the first few minutes, and he didn't like a couple of questions, I guess, and he walked off. You're on the other side of midnight. This is the uh, Ukrainian national anthem. Very nice national anthem. I sure hope this gets over with real, real quick. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. 
Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the uh, other side of midnight. It is now Saturday night, Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment. My guests this morning are Tim Saunders and Ron Gerbron. And, Tim, I want to turn the conversation, if we can, to the uh, moment of my obsession. I somehow can't get the picture of all these Russian oligarch mega yachts out of my mind. It's like, it's like, you know, you must be like a kid in a candy store because anything you ever wanted to know about who built what and when and how much better it is than that guy's is all now out there being discussed in the mainstream with these gorgeous images of these amazing earthbound spaceships. Richard, I, I would love to talk about that, but I feel that we've only scraped some of the information on one side of this conflict without fairly looking at the other side. So before we go into the earthbound spaceships or oceanbound spaceships, I think we should talk about a few elephants in the room about this Ukrainian conflict. Okay, so what do you want to bring up? Did, uh, well, let, I, let, let, let me do it this way. <clears throat> on the 24th of February, which was a Thursday, I think, did or did not Putin enter Ukraine with 150,000 troops and God knows how much armor and artillery and aircraft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Yes. Was he entitled to do that? That depends. No, no. Was he entitled in the last 70 years where we have said nations will not individually abrogate other nations borders without some kind of international sanction, treaties, UN resolutions, NATO proclamations, whatever. It's just not one guy who says tomorrow, okay, I can go and bump off Ukraine. Did not Putin do that? I would have to ask your, you a question before I answer that. So do you think it, it's, it's fair for the certain elements in the Ukrainian uh, administration to bomb the Donbass area, to shell them for over 10 years, or around 10 years, and to kill people who, well, 
that perhaps don't deserve to die just because they are more Russian origins and uh, than the sort of new way of thinking. I mean, this Donbass area has been terrorized by the Ukrainians for a long time. The Ukrainian government is not a legitimate government from the sources I hear. Zelensky is an actor and a puppet that was put into power by... See, this is all Russian uh, propaganda. I can turn around and say no, no, everything you just hey, said Richard, is Russian propaganda. How many propaganda. people do you know in the Ukraine who actually are there, who actually know this? How many people do you know? Or are you just reading the bullshit from the news? Seriously. Well, you Zelensky. have a source in Ukraine, right? A source, source says, yes. And I also am... am you and know, I take it these guys did not. Source. I take it these guys did not vote for Zelensky. <laughs> no, they didn't. No. Okay. Didn't. So right there, there is a there's a political barrier. They think he's. Or of they thought, it is, but it doesn't make your side correct, does it? It just means that you have decided to take one side because it feels comfortable and correct to you. It doesn't mean. Well, let me right let side. me ask this question: Was Zelensky properly authorized, elected? president of Ukraine in the last election. No, I don't believe he was. See, that's where, Why we, not? That's where we differ. I t- completely agree it was an open, fair election. And the people mm-hmm. voted for the most absolutely, outrageously non-political guy they could think of because they wanted someone who, like he said on his television show, would clean up the mess. They wanted you their mean, version of Trump. They yeah, voted exactly. for their I, version. I of Donald Trump. Okay, so this television series that went on for three years, which preceded the beginning of his political party, the TV series is a fictional TV series where he's a school teacher, the, what is it, the servant of the people or whatever he, it's called. Yes, he was a history yes. professor. Yeah. Yes, so this, on the show. This guy, on the show. This guy, he became a household name, a household called hero. He became something which people liked to listen to because he was promising them the TV show, the fictional TV Why show. Why am I having historical he... flashbacks of someone with orange hair? Everything well, you've said about Zelensky is the same thing we can say about Trump. Television How about works. Ronald Reagan? How about Ronald Reagan? If you want to go back Actually, to the beginning, yes, Ronald Reagan. Okay, well, I thought hard we were going to focus on Ukraine first, but I mean, yes, we can talk go about ahead, these. Go ahead, go ahead. Let's talk about these. Yeah. But oh, wait, wait, see, so, I, I, I guess to my question is just because the guy has an interesting background, was a comedian, was a performer, was an actor, was a, a you know comic history professor, actually good dancer too, actually has a uh, Dancing with the Stars. I saw that. Yes, in yeah. pink actually <laughs> is his color. Anyway, the point is he's this multifaceted polymath that when push comes to shove. And the ceiling's going to fall in on him instead of wilting like the guy in uh, Afghanistan leaving over lunch. He's still there with the bombs dropping and and building the apartment houses going up in flame, hundreds of people dying. And he's there in his own office for some reason. Now, you believe I, he's actually in the Ukraine still? Unless you want oh. to write off everything and say it's all fake which, of course, epistemologically you can do, but it doesn't get the conversation anywhere. No, but Richard, the only, the only that way that lies work, the only way that lies work is if there's an element enough of truth so that the viewer, the participant, is carried along. Both place lies do not work because there's no resonance. 
In a lie to work, it has to have a resonance. So there's a huge amount of Zelensky's story which has a resonance. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you believe Zelensky is the... Uh, you said that it was a, a fair election, or you inferred it was a fair election. So what do you think about the fact that he uh, has basically made it impossible for other parties to to present themselves, let alone to... Isn't that sort of removing any of the ground rules from democracy? Are you referring to the... Let me take this one, if I could. Sure. Are you referring to the fact that he uh, shut down the uh, two of the other parties in Ukraine a couple yes. weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that uh, I would consider that housekeeping. They're not under arrest or anything. It's within the rights of the, his office. Remember, it's not, he's not identical in powers and uh, estate and everything to, to a president somewhere else, just like Putin's not that kind of a president for Russia either. It's just that it's within what he can do. If they're, or the British Parliament, for that matter, they can uh, they can they can sideline they can sideline factions that are that are more troubled than they're worth. They do it all, they do it most of the time in Italy, where they've got so many parties. But I'm um, not an expert on those. But in the case of this, uh, he was the Bodie McBoatface candidate. That's what he was. Nobody disputes that. Not even him. Although I don't know if he would recognize the analogy to the, to the Brits. <laughs> he might. Exactly, he might. They said he's obviously been knew, reading Churchill. Everybody knew that it was a very rich, potentially very rich country, which there in its independent state, finally, uh, was not taking advantage of it because it was so damn bloody corrupt, mostly by outside, due to outside influences or influencers. Or Hunter Biden, yeah. or you know, whoever you want to blame for it, and that was going on. Well, you can still operate within an infrastructure like that. And that's why somebody wants to do it. He ran for president. He shared yeah. something with a well, one one last little thing. The do um, you know who the most intelligent man was? Almost always a man uh, in any royal court was in the throne room. Do you know who the smartest person there was? The court jester. The court jester every time, and it was because it was a necessary feature. Somebody had to be available that was clear-headed and would speak the truth, because, and they got licensed to get away with it. So when you call someone a clown or a comic that gets moved into a position of authority, it it's doesn't like, mean they won't like be Gene good at it. It's like talking about science fiction and what the real purpose of Star Trek was. It was a vehicle to sell something, but an idea came along with the vehicle. You know, what's so interesting is that, you know, Zelensky's background is so parallel to a period in our history before Trump, where you had George Bush, you know, Jr. as president. And then you had, you know, uh, 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 Barrett, I think is his name, you know, Alan, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sorkin's fictional West Wing president uh, from New Hampshire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you had that administration playing out on television, whereas the real one was playing out, you know, in, in, in news segments, whatever. And if they could have elected Barrett, they would have. And they did elect Trump later, who had a long running television series where he was the hero. And the hero for that mold was break the mold. You know, don't do anything conventional. I don't dismiss your your 
suggestion of you know how similar these these, these yeah these, these roles have been. Again, I, I would not dismiss that at all. I mean, Trump is somebody who was highly popularized and became a household name, and you know, in a controlled fictional environment, is it called The Apprentice or whatever it was. Then he seemed to have power and be smart and be intelligent and, and, mm. and all of those charismatic and all those things. That doesn't necessarily make him a bad president, but what it does do, in my opinion, is it brainwashes the people that he is somebody who could quite happily slip in, quite happily, quite well slip into that role and just seamlessly continue, but running the country. Now that's something which and a I lot of people you. bought that idea. That's why they voted for it. A lot of people it. did. A lot of people isn't did. Isn't that isn't isn't that the presentation of every politician? Slip me in. Say, I'll get. I'll make things run good. Doesn't matter what their backstory I is think, at that point. I think at some point he said, and it became the title of a book. Only I can fix it. Anyway, the point about Zelensky oh. is, he said in fiction, only I can fix it, and now in fact he's trying. He's putting his body on the line. And if you say that's not real, there's a million different people looking with social media, with smartphones, with hacks, whatever, to break any of these stories and make a million bucks. Richard, I'm very happy to say that I don't think he is necessarily real. I don't think he's there in dangerous situations necessarily. And if he is, I think he's being forced to. I think that this... This session of him appearing on Zoom meetings around the world in different governmental uh, meeting places like the UK and Israel and United States and so on, I honestly think that, yes, he has a, a job to do, but I think he is selling crocodile tears. I think he's selling a massive violin story and trying to stir people up into aggressively starting World War III. And I, well, then why was he? Well, okay, but why was he campaigning so hard before Putin moved across the border to have it not happen? He said I days mean, before, nothing's going to happen. This is all Western hysteria. He was desperately trying to keep the lid on it, imagining, like any other rational person, there's no way that the you know the 240 IQ chess master Putin is going to do something this dumb and stupid. And, what was he and, doing with NATO before, just before, around the 20th of February, I think it was, he was in Germany, Zelensky was in Germany. Saying, he, was, well, he was in Munich addressing one of those Munich. congresses, yeah. yeah. I think it was the saying, EU, well, it was the European Union. Yeah. I mean, they, they have been looking to join NATO just, for 30 years. This isn't exactly yes. something that's taken place at Warp 9. And, and why been, do you think that they, they've not become part of NATO? Because NATO because decides Putin, who who can join. Yeah, Putin doesn't. Putin uh, Putin has made no secret of his paranoia on that level that he doesn't want NATO right up against their borders. Now, nobody I mean, in NATO wants to invade Russia. Do you want to invade Russia? Does Britain want to invade Russia? Does America? No. Nobody wants to take them over. Nobody wants to conquer their country. And yet he's acting like he's one of those petty tyrants in Game of Thrones. And when people are like that, it's okay to put to factor that in and say, okay, they have a real, an unrealistic and warped perspective on the world around them. You can then try and figure out why that would be, 
But don't you know, it, it can't be blamed on fake news or something. He did the Putin did this to himself because he let himself be manipulated. That's why I mentioned the Romanovs. You know, it's it's maybe it's okay. maybe it didn't. So I, I don't uh, you know, I think he did this willfully because he wants Ukraine as the territory. And I think he has lied mostly to the Russian people. Paranoids always lie to themselves. So you don't even have to count that part. But the idea he t- he gave a speech that everybody in the world that wanted to heard where he was describing the problems that he was facing. And he gave a completely historically inaccurate portrayal of the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. And I looked into it. The city, uh, the city of Kiev is a thousand years old. It's been the center of civilization in that area for a thousand years before they, yeah, there were anybody's countries. Uh, it had some. Uh, it was written on the maps as something like Polas or something, uh, which had nothing to do with Poland, apparently. Well, no, uh, the Ukraine. The, maps. the Ukraine. Uh, Richard and I, when he was saying, went through this yeah. several weeks ago. <clears throat> the Ukraine literally means the outland. It was a yes. borderland between the center of the continent and the out outer, you know, reaches where civilization hadn't hadn't reached yet where there was untrammeled wilderness you know game uh, basically what turned into the american prairies here very similar geology there so it was always the outland it was the not the center of civilization and yet kiev which is the center of, of of culture in that region has been as you just said over a thousand years it was kind of the meeting place on the on the river there um, where an awful lot of people got together, not just Slavs. King's Landing for Game of Thrones fans. That's it was equivalent to that. But just to, to, to give it the the name an outland, does that mean that it is free for anybody to take? What do you mean by it now? No. I mean No, it meant no, it's, it means it's on the edge. Borderland, borderland or outland, the edge of other other countries or other. Well, the edge of Russia, because those who coined the term Ukraine outland were doing it from the perspective of Moscow, which is, you know, several hundred miles to the north. Actually, the name of the city, Kiev, comes from a family name. That's why I keep making these Game of Thrones allusions, and there was a fa- and that was a family name, and that was the na- the specific the personal name of the eldest son of a family of uh, four siblings, and they were considered the uh, they didn't try to run all the little kingdoms around them, but they were the ones that everybody went to for advice or to settle debate settle debates and things like that, and they kind of settled into it. That was their family legacy. One of those historical. Where, where does this written. pronunciation come from, by the way, Ron? Kiev. It comes from the fact that Russian and Ukrainian have pretty much the same dictionary, but they have different vowels. They use it, They have different vowel sounds. Both okay. both alphabets have thirty three letters, but three of them are which have so to be vowels sound. are different in the Ukraine. Well, in Russian, uh, Kiev is Kiev, and as I've been taught by an expert, um, yes. Kiev should be a kind of a stutter. Kiev. Yeah, you don't have to overemphasize. I noticed they, the the press picked up on that and have started spelling it with a Y, K Y I V. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's a it's a straight through sound. It's not it's not a smooth whistle, you know, Kiev. Oh, but 
key. So where is it's your key. source from? Richard um, is an expert. Where is your source? Uh, I'm afraid it came off the internet, but I checked it with every single one of them. You know, every place you can look up pronunciation and statement and so forth. So I, I'm okay. com- I'm comfortable with it. It's uh, right. for instance I'm not that. As a, as a well, what do you what do you think it? Is? Well, it's just that's as far as the historical <laughs> part. I could send you that, but it's it's uh, that's not that's okay. not controversial. That's not controversial information here. I think, it I think it, it's a little part of the whole bubble. It, it, I know, I, I know. Kiev, Russo. When I visited Kiev, it was Kiev, and when I talked with uh, some of my contacts there and specifically asked them, "How do you pronounce this city?" It is most definitely Kiev. So, well, there's a certain wide range of commentators. And I've heard those people on the ground with the cell phones that are giving those various reports and things refer to it both ways. I concede you that. It's not. uh, Remember, most of them speak some Russian. Some of them speak primarily Russian. The difference is in the pronunciation, not the alphabet. They understand each other, but the, uh, according to the intelligence community, the, uh, and I assume the Ukrainian people, the uh, native Russian speakers have trouble speaking Ukrainian because of the difference in the way that words are pronounced. The vowel, you change the vowel sounds, you get that kind of trouble. Uh, I'm, I live I right think, next to hmm. Well, I, I no, it's, it's, I, it's more to do with... I think it's more to do with making cultural media, identity, make the people who listen to the media um, inadvertently without some even understanding, take the, uh, the Ukrainian Zelensky side. That's what I think it is personally, but that's, that's just me. Uh, I'm, I'm, wait, wait, I'm, wait, missing, wait, wait, I'm missing the context Tim, there. Tim, it's their damn yeah. city. It's their capital. Yeah. Yeah, and they can I'm call it what they want. I'm Why couldn't they be able to call it whatever they want? What? Kiev it is. <laughs> it what? It's Kiev. You know, a person who lives in Kiev is telling me specifically it is Kiev 100%. It's not Kiev. There's no Kiev. Kiev is, is the uh, people from the, um, the west, the west of Ukraine, the people who don't like the people who live in, in the Northeast, for example. It, it, is, it is absolutely taking one faction. There, there are two, there's at least two sides going on here. And then there's the mafia mixed up in the middle. Then there's the, the mainstream media taking uh, in unison with the, uh, the Western, NATO, UN, European, American, United Kingdom, all of that. And they're hell-bent on creating a war here. And it, what a beautiful distraction it's been. To you keep saying that. How did they get in Putin's head and have him at that speech say go? Okay, Zelensky, yeah, you cut me off earlier. Zelensky in Munich on the 22nd of February, I think it's the 22nd or thereabouts, was basically saying, okay, NATO, if you don't uh, support us, you don't let us join, then we are going to have to seriously reconsider our position on nuclear weapons. Now that is a fairly big, um, fairly big provocation, surely, is it not? I mean, would you like, for example, um, Cuba to suddenly have uh, missiles from um, a, a, different, a country of a different side? This is surely a 21st century Cuban missile crisis. Oh, very much so. 
Well, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. When when Ukraine was a Soviet socialist republic in 91, and they had an election, and they threw over the USSR and they became an independent state, they also had a referendum on turning their nuclear weapons back to the old Soviet Union. Yeah. Because they had like, I think like 2000 or something. And they gave them all back. So if they were, if Zelensky Are you was sure going to, Richard, you sure there weren't one or two? Just because if they're not turned back, they, if they're not turned back, they, they, they there's there's a drop dead date. When you're dealing with fissile material, why do you think we've had to modernize our nuclear weapons so often in the last seventy years of the Cold War? Because they go bad. They have a material in them that literally decays. You know, they're yeah. they're bootstrapped. So. so so he's right. If there's no high technology with end-to-end seamless transfer of information and material and technicians, if you stored nuclear weapons away from 30 years ago, the real question is, would they work now? When Richard, you press the button, would they work? I'm they're stuck away in some cellar, bricked up in some cellar. I mean, for example, if the United States is smart enough to maintain them, then surely there must be some people there who equally could be maintaining them as well. I mean, how many of what do you make of these biolabs, for example? They're I mean, from the Russians. They're from the Soviet era. Remember, Ukraine really? was the high-tech region of the old exactly. Soviet Union. So, so all of the weird high-tech stuff. nuclear weapons. All right. of, yeah, but you have to the personnel. You know, the, well, they, they, the all went, they, all went, they all went broke. You know, that's why well, Russia doesn't export anything anymore. Even back then, it didn't export much because of the Iron Curtain. But at least there was a kind of a technological conversation. There was now, a possibility there was sufficient technological know-how to maintain these things. That's pure, pure speculation. Exactly. So why is it part of the conversation? It's the same because conversation. You're speculating wildly that a number of other things. No, I'm saying that I'm back... Now. When, when, you, when you write treaties, international treaties, there has to be some kind of a log and a mechanism for checking that somebody in the treaty is not going to cheat. So when we did all this as part of the denuking of the Soviet Union and the reversion of, of whatever stockpiles to Russia, there was an elaborate international process that even involved some kind of bizarre expedition to Mexico. I remember dimly in that time frame to denuke Ukraine, which literally at that time was the third most powerful nuclear power on the planet with no infrastructure to maintain it. And what has that got to do with it? If somebody stashed a couple of them in a garage, well, if somebody stashed a couple in a garage uh, or um, may or erased a couple of um, silos off a map, and I'm not saying that happened, just follow this along. Uh, then what difference does that make to the other things we're discussing? Putin has not brought that up. He threatened to use nuclear weapons if people didn't stop being disobedient to him. Multiple times. And we've got about and a minute against, till the bottom of the hour. And that's against international law. So I think, I think on that one, Putin, you know, Putin gets the, uh, gets the black card. That's the, you don't, okay. or the yellow card. And let's... Soccer. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I get that, but I mean, we're talking like people respect international laws until they're broken. 
that that's the way it is. I mean, for example, I True. suppose with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, okay, guys, there was there was no international law. We're at the bottom of the hour. From threatening to you. We're at the bottom of the hour. We're at the bottom of the hour. He said for three times. And we come back. I want to talk about the Russian oligarchs, Megayots. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The site of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, Sunday morning, here from the Land of Enchantment. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, here on the other side of Midnight. So let's get back to the conversation between Tim Saunders and myself and Ron Gerbron. And um, Tim, can we kind of talk about uh, Russian oligarchic yachts? If you wish, I feel happy that we've uh, at least discussed, you know, another side of what's going on on the other side of midnight. So yes, thank you for for offering me that chance. So yes, let's let's uh, move on to the subject you want to talk about. Well, I, I one of the reasons I think this is important is because we're not hearing about American mega yachts and American oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. This appears to be a kind of a subset of what the Russian culture did when the Soviet Union collapsed and there were relatively few handful of people who basically were able to scarf up the spoils uh, like billions of dollars in personal you know, banking accounts and stuff like that. I mean, just 
absolutely unheard of. And then the question is, what are these people doing with all this disposable income? And one of the things they do uh, apparently keeps you in, in a very interesting profession in that they like big, complex toys called mega yachts. So let's start with some definitions. What's the difference between okay. an ordinary yacht and one of these Russian oligarch mega yachts? Okay, well, in there are lots of different sets of rules, classification, regulations, uh, which govern uh, the, the, the design, build, and um, yeah, the, the safety of, of vessels at sea. And there are they're complicated, and, and they there's all different perspectives. But generally speaking, they they, they agree on certain definitions. So. A boat is anything, a boat is, it can be a sailboat, a motorboat, rowing boat, fishing boat, whatever it is. I'm talking in sort of the luxury sector now. That would be, when I say luxury sector, I mean privately owned. That is something which can be up to 24 meters, which 24 meters in, in, a, in American is, what, let's just say 75 feet for the sake of argument. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit more in fact, but let's say something along those lines. So that is something which um, can be piloted with minimal um, uh, qualification and the safety equipment on board is, is basic. Not to say it's dangerous, it's just basic. So you, you don't need to have, you know, extra crew or engineers or, you know, staff lab or anything like this. You can have it if you want to, but you don't need it. So anything therefore above 24 meters, um, is considered a uh, a super yacht, and a super yacht really is is something which is is a uh, a term used in, in in the industry to sort of convey an extra layer of quality, an extra layer of um, you know, superiority, or far, you know, it, it, it's a higher level product than than a, a yacht. So it's more I than a sheer size. It's all yes. it's all the accoutrements that go with it, the gold-plated fixtures in the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, technically, in in the in the book, it, in the book, it, it does say a superior is something which is 24 meters and above. Oh, so okay. so that is a term which is which is used. But in in my okay, there is the as I say, the, the sort of general agreed understanding of how this all is, and there's also sort of my, my viewpoints on it as well. I mean, when I say a boat up to 20, uh, 24 meters, I guess you could also call it a yacht up to 24 meters. So mm -hmm. a boat or yacht up to 24 meters. So that, that is something which I consider to be a normal, a normal vessel to go out and, and enjoy. Above 24 meters is considered a soup yacht. And in with that terminology comes a whole different set of rules. And even down to, for example, a bilge pump, which you, know, you need as a fair wave breaks over the bow and water goes into a hatch and then somehow gets in the bottom of the boat or the hull, then that pump is rated at, uh, for vessels under 24 meters or over 24 meters. So I, I'm just trying to build the foundation so we understand how the, how the situation works. And that's just one little element, so, you know, thousands of rules. Uh, also above 24 meters, then the level of um, education needs to be increased for the, the person driving the boat or the yacht. 
and that goes all the way up to as big as you can imagine. Um, and that literally is as big as you can imagine these days. So, for example, there are other rules inside within that, um, and that is the different groups which are um, separated by the, the gross tonnage. And gross tonnage, even though it has the word tonnage in it, is nothing to do with weight. It, it's actually a volumetric, um, yeah, what can I say, unit. So, and that, that has origins, without going into all of the details, that has origins of sort of cargo ships running around the world and how much can you take in your hold. And so how many gross tons is that vessel? You can say it's like, you know, 3,000 gross tons, whatever. Then it, it, it's basically adding up selected internal volumes to make up a number. And some of those internal volumes are included, for example, like a hold, obviously, where you can store you know, your produce or the other areas that may not be considered part of that calculation, which could be things that sort of, you know, uh, um, let's say a, a, an aft deck with an open terrace is not considered to be included because it, it's like a, not a non-enclosed or non-fully enclosed area. So these gross tonnage rules come in, and there is one around, uh, I'm going to jump to one around uh, 500 gross tons. 500 gross tons, captains who, and crew who run vessels above 500 gross tons, they have, again, to have uh, more qualifications, more training. The safety equipment has to be increased. The, you know, even the step over between, a, 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 let's say, a, a, deck, a side deck and, a, and a, a cabin door, the threshold has to be higher. There are all sorts of, you know, intricate re rules. And therefore, a 500 gross ton vessel is something in the region of a normal motor yacht would be something in the region of around 50 meters, let's say 49, 50 meters. That's again in American 150 feet thereabouts. So that's that group. Now, obviously, as, as a vessel gets longer, it also becomes higher and deeper in the water by virtue of Archimedes principle and various other um, ideas. So by the time you get to a, a vessel around, let's say, 85 meters, then we're talking something which can be, the, the limit there is, um, if we start getting close to a 3,000 gross ton uh, uh, measurement. So if a vessel is 90 meters, it probably will be in the region of, of 3,000 gross tons. And 3,000 is like another milestone where, again, you need to have, you know, uh, an engineer, a backup engineer, you need to have a captain, you have to have a navigator, you know, there's a whole list of requirements and safety equipment and so on. So I would say, in short, uh, boats and yachts go up to 24 meters, 75 feet. Uh, super yachts begin from 25 meters up to the sky. But within there, there are other limits. And I would say something in the region of a 90 meter, 85, 90 meters, where your mega yachts would start. Well, 90 now, meters is like a football field. It's, on, it's 300 feet. That's right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I remember and, I remember Boeing's great line when they brought out the 747 in 69. One great place going to another. That is, uh, <laughs> I don't remember that one. And that's yeah. what these yachts are. They're each these little worldlets. I mean, when I see some of the ancient destroyed space architecture we're looking at, 
I just try to imagine what they look like when they were new because that's where the mega yacht culture lived a long time ago in the past. The, the yachts were spacecraft, not floating on one ocean. Well, absolutely. Uh, I, I would also say these are Russian oligarchs. I mean, what we're talking about is there's one, one of three parked up fairly close to here. Um, I've been tracking them. They, they make quite a speedy um, passage across the Atlantic, came through the Mediterranean, and as this conflict has been unfolding, and of course these these you know behemoths suck up a lot of juice, so uh, you know you, you, they want to bring them to a safe port uh, because some were being threatened and some were even being attacked, some were being seized, some are being arrested. We can talk more about those later, but these two in particular, um, which were which are Russian owned. Um, but they had to come to a place which is more friendly in order to obtain fuel. And uh, these vessels are huge. There's one literally here I saw this week arrive, and there's one just further down the coast that is, is enormous. Um, this is 170 meters, so oh you, know, you do God. the math three times. And the one in All the right, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is 140 how, how meters. And Ron wants his own aircraft carrier. Yeah, no, no, no. I just want a freighter. Uh, Tim and I uh, discussed that before, but I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt the flow. But I, uh, one tiny question: how, how much crew does it take when you, when you hit that mark of three to four hundred feet? That, uh, how many crew are you, uh, are you going to need to run that ship? You never want well, below I'm, decks. I'm, I'm working. No, I'm asking him for. He was talking about the book measure. You know what's what's considered reasonable and what's authorized and what's necessary. And I'm just just curious. Well, I'm, I'm putting together a concept at the moment. It, it's like you know the the putting the foundations in place before defining the intent of the vessel before actually designing the vessel of sure. a uh, 1900 meter yacht. And uh, so it's you know I'm. Definitely trying to keep it under 3,000 gross tons because I don't want to go into this sort of um, uh, extra, uh, uh, this area of extra uh, strictness in terms of um, specifications of materials and, and crew and numbers and everything else. So I definitely want to keep it under there. But on the other hand, there's also a very handy uh, set of rules which I can also bring in called uh, by the Red Ensign Group. Uh, which is called the passenger yacht code, which means I can actually put in up to 36 guests. So this is this is a revelation for the the industry. It's been only in in, uh, in circulation for the last uh, let's say seven, six, seven, eight years. Um, so on a vessel of let's say 90 meters under 3,000 gross tons, I can have up to 36 guests. That means if it's a charter yacht, they can be paying. Let's say a floating hotel. If it's a private Use then obviously this is you know an, an owner and partner plus the you know get family and friends whatever it is going to be, um, but on a vessel of that size that they the one I'm working on the moment has around uh, 18 guests, uh, four staff because you need helicopter pilots, submarine drivers, mm. you need um, oh yes you know, that, that giant sucking sound you hear is all mm. those rubles going to pay everybody to maintain one of these super ships. I mean, it must mm -hmm. be incredibly expensive just per day, just sitting somewhere. 
not doing anything. Well, so what is you cost? Because you, you know, with, with, to answer Ron's question on a, yeah. a on a, let's say a 90, 95 meter, you need something in the region of about 20 to 24 crew. Thank you. Um, that seems reasonable. I can go. handle that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, people talk about this magical scale of a million, you know, a million dollars, a million euros, a million pounds a meter or every three feet, I guess, in American, but um, that does that scale doesn't work everywhere because obviously the longer the vessel is, the more decks you may require or, or the deeper the vessel you need to use to Archimedes principle. So it doesn't work in different areas of, of the sort of the, the length regime of, of the yacht, um, yacht scale. I'm trying to find words. But it, it does work around the sort of 70 to 80 meter mark, uh, 70 to 85 meter mark. Yachts do cost, let's say 75 to 80 meter mark, yachts do cost around $1 million per meter. So you can imagine that a, you know, a, a 90 meter vessel may cost something in the region of 110 million uh, euros. I mean, again, it doesn't really matter, but euros, dollars, pounds, I mean, it's something of that order of magnitude. Mm. But a vessel which is something like 170 meters is going to jump up because of the huge volumetric increase to something in the region of 650 million euros. Or I saw something the other day now. in relation to Putin's um, potential yacht. There's a yacht kind of running around uh, named the Scheherazade that they're all trying yes. to connect back to Putin. And it's, it's a pretty good circumstantial case because all their crew is from the FSB. It's kind of like the Secret Service, you know, manning the, the honey fits. Anyway, so this yacht is reported... They have two crews, yes. This yacht is reported to cost in the order of $700 million. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise yeah. me. Is that the so one I, with all the radar bubbles on the roof? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And I'm counting one, two, three, four, five decks. Uh, What's interesting is that one. Uh, Again, I I see that we're coming up on the end of the show, so that's just, um, I did take up a lot more time in sharing my view on the Ukraine. So just to go very quickly, in the last, uh, I would say point out that in the world of yachts, it's not just the Russians that own them. A lot of Americans own them as well. A lot of Europeans own them as well. A lot of Brits own them as well. So it's not just uh, Russian oligarchs. Well, well, what kind of liquidity do you have to have to be able to maintain one of these ships? Let's say, let's say 90 meters, 110 million euros to, to purchase, and then you need 10% of that cost every year to run it. So, you know, it's 11, 11 million a year. To, it's, a, it's a million a month, slightly less than a million a month, but something of that order of magnitude. And that depends on how much. So, uh, if you were only a hundred millionaire, not a billionaire, but just had a hundred million here or there, you could mm-hmm. comfortably maintain this kind of lifestyle. Well, if if you had the yacht already, yes, yes, uh, you could run it for ten years on a hundred million, yes. Hmm. Oh, okay. Abramovich, uh, uh, which has one for sale. Well, he has many. <laughs> it's incredible how that, that guy has has accumulated so much money. It is, yeah. Can I ask a yeah. personal question? 
Sure. Who is the Depends richest oligarch that you wound up designing a, a, a yacht for? I can't answer that because that would be. How about if you turn? How about if you say the richest one that you're aware of? How's that? That doesn't put you. I'm like, no, I'm. I'm just giving. I'm just making it non-personal, so he's yeah, not yeah. threatening. His data. Yeah. The, so, the, the, the projects that I've worked on, which are for high-up people, they're never. They never fund themselves. But I know that the projects I've worked on, at least two of them, have been sort of the top level. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it's a very restricted club, and, you know, Tim is part of a very restricted, uh, you know, uh, order of that club. So I would imagine it's a very restricted clientele. There are people in there are people in Rancho Santa Fe, just a couple miles away from me, that spend more than anyone you've ever heard of makes in a year, every year, just to keep their name out of things like the Forbes Forbes list. So they're yeah, that's so that's why I said yeah, they don't want to be identified, and that's fine. Hmm. Unlike Donald, <laughs> I, I would add that the in the last week or so, around seventy Russian or yachts related to Russia have been either arrested or seized. Um, yes. And I think that... Well, didn't you have one I interesting story about the Ragnar that you wanted to talk about? Not in as many seconds as we have left, Richard, but I mean, the Ragnar has now been uh, released. Uh, it's been allowed to be fueled up in, uh, in, in Norway. It's now left, as far as I know. The Norwegian government allowed fuel to get to it, hmm. and it's off. Uh, oh. So that's, that's good news. But I, I, do, I do think that it's, it's very unfair in many ways that so many of these jobs have been seized or arrested. And because of alleged connections as opposed to direct connections. And I would say that the... Um, yeah, but that's the a legal process. Enough. Once that starts, they don't lose the boat. They, lose, they, they begin a legal process and each side has to, in a court, prove its claims. So it starts a process. Okay, but, but then, yeah. I'd agree with Tim. It's unfair. You know, it's their, it's their money wherever. And as long as it's, uh, unless the money itself is tied directly to a crime. And that's yeah. not, uh, that's not how it works with these guys. It, this is presuming they're guilty until proven innocent, which exactly. is exactly. unconstitutional. And I have a good reference of a judge who can back that up, an American judge. There seems to be an absolute love to hate Russians at the moment, and I think this is a dangerous, uh, dangerous... Uh, well, that's why I think it's very important to, to point out that yeah. it's not Russians doing this, it's Putin who's doing this insane thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, why, clar that's why clarity is necessary. I, don't ha I certainly don't hate Russians. And I believe that, I do believe that whether he is or is not a stable individual. I cannot judge that myself, but I do think that he has been provoked, and I think there's a lot of uh, backstory to to support that. I think the West is hell bent on making a war at the moment, and I think that that needs to stop. I think it needs to calm the hell down and look for diplomatic relations to create peace as opposed to make war. I mean, even Biden trying to push twists. Erdogan's arm to make him give the S-400s to the Ukraine. I mean, that's in direct violation of all the contracts with 
What, 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 what S-400? Is that a missile or something? That, that it's he, an air defense system that Erdogan oh, bought that. a couple of years yeah. ago from the Russians. And all the rest of his um, armaments came from, from NATO. So mm-hmm. everyone was kind of wondering, why are you doing this? Because it's such an incompatibility. They're literally totally incompatible. Well, well for the, on the defense – more story than that. Yeah, the Brits sent them. Uh, the Brits sent them uh, uh, several thousands of uh, Starstreak uh, missiles, uh, which is a shoulder-launched hypersonic missile. Yeah, it's like the Stinger. Uh, yeah, it's fast, but it's faster. It's not as fast as some that a friend of mine makes, but you know, three times the speed of sound. That's that's decent, and uh, at least they don't poos out like the Russians have been having problems with theirs. Because I still find mind. that an awful lot of details about the actual missiles. I'm trying to talk about the backstory behind it. What I'm trying to say is that Biden specifically tried to provoke Turkey to stir up and, you know, escalate. Oh, you're probably war. right. I'm, you're probably right. I'm no, I'm, I'm, I'm and no fan. I'm no fan of uh, uh, Uncle Joe. Uh, yeah, I don't. Everybody uh, has, everybody has a backstory. You know, it, it's impossible to say everything is clean and that's the bad guy today. It's impossible to say that. Everything has a backstory. Actually, I don't um, think it's that murky. Putin yeah. is massacring thousands of Ukrainians for no reason. None. There's no military reason. There's no strategic reason. There's no political reason. These people aren't a threat to him. Their existence is a threat to an empire. So, and if you go back and read Putin's writings, talk about original sources, Putin lays out in that book back in 2000, this is what he wanted to do all along. And I think so the he only... wants to annex the Ukraine. Yes, yes, because he's trying yes. to build the greater mother Russia. When he was a young KGB agent and all the other KGB agents were putting, you know, pictures of, of Stalin or, or uh, whatever the Soviet hierarchy was at that time. Lenin, maybe? Well, maybe that, that not that old. Putin was known by the uniqueness of the portrait he put over his desk in opposition to all those other faceless KGB agents because he put Peter the Great. Putin has been planning this for a very long time, given the strictly terrestrial dictator with delusions of godhood model. And I think when it's, when when Trump mm. lost, I don't think the Putin counted on Trump losing. Just like Trump didn't count on Trump losing, Putin couldn't believe Trump had lost. And so he had a window to enact his grand plan, which was part of Crimea and the Donbass building up little bites at a time. He thought that Trump had left the, the NATO in such a horrible condition, Putin uh, I'm sorry, Biden was such an idiot that he could just walk into Ukraine and maybe he did believe they would welcome him as a liberator. And so now he's paying a horrible price and the people of Ukraine are really paying the price. That I, I, that I can agree with. On. I think the people of the Ukraine are paying a very high price. Yes, that, that is the most unfortunate part of all of this. While everyone else is playing... Uh, um, what can I say? Massive ego politics. The one piece of good news I think everybody is talking about a long term. This is not going to be long term. The rate at which events have accelerated. 
this is not going to be another Afghanistan or either for the Russians or for us or Iraq or Kuwait or whatever. It's, it's unique. And it's got these weird aspects that make no sense. None. No, no, they've I mean, lost more people. They've lost more people in a month, the Russians, than they uh, lost in uh, Afghanistan in however many years they were stuck there. years. Yeah. More people in a month. And it doesn't matter what actual number you fasten on. They're all awful. They're all horrible. They're all so mm-hmm. catastrophically. Biz- in other words, everything about this is such an outlier that you begin to look at it and say, and this is why I think Spence is appropriate to ask the question, what is real? But you got to have a process for answering the question. You can't just claim, oh, I don't believe anything. Therefore, you put yourself in a you know, volunteer vacuum. That doesn't get you anywhere. Well, I, I, I think that uh, we, we know I say we know. I have. I, I can no longer believe anything we see on mainstream media, and I, I think that you know we've just had this two year. We're just breaking to three years of this COVID fast, um, where clearly people have lied through their teeth in 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 positions of authority and in mainstream media. Uh, again, the people have been the victims, mainly many of them. And to me, you know, do I suddenly believe the mainstream media and leaders are going to start telling the truth after two years and after all of this about the war when before they've been lying through their teeth for the last two years? It doesn't make any sense at all. I think it's very selective. People who believe the news should understand they've been lied to for the last two, two years and probably an awful lot longer, decades. So I think that... Uh, the West position is highly hypocritical about Putin going into an area. I do not say it's the right thing. Of course, it's not the right thing. The people are getting killed. It's a terrible thing. The people of Ukraine. They're getting uh, killed because of particular specific intent. And on yes. that note, guys, we reached the end of the program. I want to thank my guests this morning. Ron Gerbron and Tim Saunders. Um, I'm going to pick this thing up about the yachts and do some of the extrapolations in a future show because I do think this is a kind of a foreshadowing of technologies and lifestyles to come, but on a much bigger stage. Tomorrow night, we're going to return to our heroine, Maria Wheatley. She had one hell of an adventure, and rather than give it away, tune in tomorrow night. Remember, third star on the left, Straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.